watch him closely. What's the secret, Meg? You just gotta find something you love to do and then do it for the rest of your life. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. Welcome to The Establishing Shot, a podcast where we do deep dives into directors and their filmographies. Uh, We are here on episode 23 of the podcast, um, getting uh, deep into our series on Christopher Nolan. And uh, we're going to be talking Inception today. Uh, So uh, unfortunately, we uh, in audio format, it's it's hard to depict um, us starting off in a dream within a dream. So um, I don't really have anything for you there other than this really bad uh, tongue-in-cheek joke. So um, yeah, but uh, I'm really excited today to have um, Elijah Davidson on the podcast with me, uh, joining me to talk about Inception. Uh, Elijah is the uh, co-director, if I'm not mistaken, of the Brim Film Institute at Fuller Seminary in Pasadena, California. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to have you on. Uh, Why don't you uh, introduce yourself, tell um, our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do. uh, And uh, yeah, we'll go from there. Cool. Well, now my mind is is racing because I'm trying to think what Inception would be like as an audio play. Like a radio play Inception, how they would even do that? Yeah, I think it's possible. So I I talked about myself in a minute, but now I'm just like getting that out of my head because it's so <laughs> like it's so visual and like the way the movie works depends so much on like movie things you can only do in movies. Oh yeah, I don't think it would work. Like they'd slow people's voices down, maybe or maybe you need to like. I mean, you could on. definitely slow down a Edith Piaf track. You can do that. You could definitely do that. Yeah. <laughs> Slow it way down. And that might be the way to do it. But that's, we'll get to there. Uh, we'll get yeah. To that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, uh, like you said, I'm Elijah Davidson. Um, been co directing Brim Film at Fuller Seminary since 2011. Um, and it's a, uh, it's a faith and film institute. So we, uh, we do all that we can to um, encourage and support kind of that intersection between theology and film. So we, uh, we do we have a screening series that we run uh, here in uh, Pasadena, California, where the seminary is. Um, we attend festivals. We have a website uh, where we have movie movie reviews and uh, things like that. Right, right reviews. Um, we have book series that we edit. Um, we have students who come through and who you know work in the film industry and also are taking uh, theology classes. Uh, kind of with that theological kind of foundation to their work and will do whatever they need to support their studies. So we do, um, whether that's helping them find locations on campus to shoot something or uh, organizing movie discussion groups, if they want to do that alongside their studies. So just whatever we can do to support them, we, we try to do it. Um, I love it. It's a lot of fun. I yeah. uh, I initially came to Fuller uh, to study at Fuller because uh, I was interested in doing uh, something to help uh, Christians and the church be nicer to artists. 
because um, sure. I love artists and Christians have a kind of a bad track record of treating uh, how they treat artists. And so I mm-hmm. uh, wanted to encourage a better relationship there and yeah. uh, very blessed to be able to work. Uh, and I love movies forever. And so very blessed to be able to work with Brim Film to kind of support cinematic arts and cinematic artists. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, the first time that Fuller came across just my radar, uh, I came across uh, Robert K. Johnson's yeah, Rob. uh, book, Real Spirituality. Yeah. Um, and kind Clever. of saw where he w- where he was kind of working out of. and mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Rob's great. Rob's a mentor and a good friend, and uh, the reason mm-hmm. I get to do what I do. Uh, yeah. And, and that book, Real Spirituality, was a real uh, kind of foundational text for a lot of this current era of theology and film. Uh, we actually yeah. called Brim Film, uh, was actually called Real Spirituality for the first 20 years or so of its existence. Okay. Um, renamed it Brim Film a few years ago, but yeah, called Real Spirituality, which I always liked. I mean, candidly, I like that name better than Brim Film. Yeah. Um, because Real it, as in R-E-E-L. That's right. Little play on yeah. words there. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. But the spirituality part is the part that I really liked because yeah. um, it, kind of it, it's a little bit more uh generous and open which i think you got to be uh when you're mm-hmm. when you're talking about artists and filmmakers because uh, you don't want to over spiritualize their work uh, but spirituality mm-hmm. is kind of like a wide enough net that you can let a lot of stuff in and have yeah. a lot of good discussions so um yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. common uh human experience sort mm-hmm. of word yeah, yeah yeah for sure yeah yeah, and uh, and you have some uh, some published works yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. Um, yeah, I'm a I'm a writer, uh, writer by writer by uh, vocation. That's the word that means kind of like calling. So uh, writer sure. by vocation. <laughs> uh, by profession, I'm a, I work uh, in marketing, but uh, <laughs> for the seminary. But by vocation, I'm a writer, and yeah, uh, have a few books uh, that I've that I've done, uh, including one on Christopher Nolan. Um, so one little, mm-hmm. one little book on Christopher Nolan, very little book, very small book, like 10,000 words, hardly a book, uh, but hopefully just enough. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've, uh, I've mentioned it a few times, just, um, some, uh, some points that you've brought up, um, in, in past episodes that may or may not have released yet at this <laughs> point of the recording. But, um, but yeah, uh, I, I kind of describe it as almost like a um, a like film critic devotional almost Mm -hmm. (laughs) in the way it's kind of written, but yeah. 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 A devotional is kind of the model for it. Um, Mm -hmm. It was, uh, there's, there's three books in this little series uh, that I, that I do. Uh, I call it the icons of cinema because it's fun to call it that. And I get to make a little icon to go along with it. And uh, uh, the the Nolan book, uh, you know, in, in this, in this little book, so I've done one, on Nolan. I've done one on uh, Guillermo del Toro. Uh, and I just mm-hmm. recently put one out on Hayao Miyazaki. Um, and yeah, uh, in these books, I'm I, kind of like you do on your podcast. Like I, uh, you look, go through a filmmaker's filmography uh, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm keenly interested in, uh, okay, what's, what's driving them? Like what kind of question are they asking? Um, what questions perhaps, but usually it's question. Uh, that they are kind of asking over and over again as they make their movies and um, how can we see this play out? And then, you know, not like, I don't want to Jesus juke them or anything like that, but I'm more right. interested in like what kind of, what's a good, solid, correct Christian response to this? Um, and mm-hmm. 
we uh we rob johnston and fuller we uh we film we kind of teach a um um a stance toward culture that uh you this comes from c.s lewis you uh if you want to understand first you must stand under um and so you you let the the film speak first or the artist mm-hmm. speak first and then respond to what they say so you're not trying to impose anything you're just going to respond to the questions that they bring up so um right. just try to do that as uh going through these filmmakers work so um yeah i'm glad you found it helpful i i also they also are very short like the Nolan yes. books like ten thousand words the miyazaki one's the longest one it's like twelve thousand words and uh yeah because part of the deal with, with these little books is I mean, there are great resources out there if you want to go mm-hmm. deep um, film theory wise on these filmmakers. And I've read a lot of those, a lot of great books out there and also true, like a lot of good biographies of a lot of these filmmakers mm-hmm. as well. Um, and I think people should read those. Uh, yeah. it's, it's good work, but there's, but there's not a lot of um, kind of sustained uh, theological interaction with these filmmakers and mm-hmm. in their, their careers. And so, um, I wanted to do just that because that's the piece that I do. Uh, yeah. A little, so and I want to yeah. give it just enough where people can read it and hopefully get a little bit more out of the movie and see it a little better. Um, yeah. yeah, it's it's kind of refreshing because I'm also kind of reading along through with uh, Tom Schoen's The Nolan Variations, mm, yeah. which is very, very deep uh, mm-hmm. in, uh, in each film. And so having like a nice little uh, uh, palate cleanser yeah. <laughs> uh, in the middle of that is, is nice. Uh, that's good to hear. Yeah. That's good to hear. Yeah. yeah. I, I want to, I, my goal is on those, just give people just enough, you know, like to and get, get it back to the movie. Cause the movies are mm-hmm. really where it's at, you know? Um, yeah. So yeah. Good. I'm glad, glad you're enjoying it. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, I like to, uh, for it, maybe listeners that are, um, that are more theology bent. Uh, I like to think of it as, uh, trying to do film exegesis instead of film eisegesis yeah reading mm-hmm. out of the text instead of into it, it mm-hmm. well in this case it's not a text it's a film but right <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah I, I love that um and for for maybe listeners that aren't uh christians and just trying to dig into the movie um you know don't let uh don't let the the christian talk scare you away from uh getting that transcending time and uh, looking into it because it really has um, very like just human applicable themes that you're you're kind of trying to dig into. Um, and, you know, Christopher, it's not like Christopher Nolan is a Christian making quote unquote no. Christian films. <laughs> so a lot of the themes that <laughs> that uh, are being dealt with aren't specifically Christian necessarily, yeah. but um, but very like, you know, just common human things that we need to reckon with and deal with. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I always like to think of them as, uh, artists ask questions primarily mm-hmm. and they might give some answers to those questions, but they're asking questions mostly. Yeah. And, um, it's, I think, uh, uh, a fair and honoring way to interact with their work is, you know, to engage those questions from your own perspective. And, right. you know, for me, that's a Christian perspective for somebody else. It might not be, uh, mm-hmm. but just trying to honestly engage with them. And then um, also the um, the other, the other part of it is, um, you know, it, from film, film studies side of things, like um, 
you know, theological film criticism is just a lens like any other. So like you know, right. people do feminist film criticism, you know, they do queer film criticism, they do all kinds of different film criticisms mm-hmm. or film theories and theological is another one. So it's like an extra nice little tool to have in your toolbox, I think. Oh yeah. Um, and a, a nice extra lens that you can use sometime when it's, when it's applicable, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, cool. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so people what... can, they can get the books for free on, uh, also this is worth, worth stating. Um, yeah. The, yeah, uh, I think if you sign up for, I think you have a, a newsletter and you can choose, I think you, you can choose if I'm not mistaken between yeah. the Nolan or the Del Toro yeah, or the Miyazaki book, one now. Yeah. Okay. And, and Miyazaki has been added to that too. So yeah, you can get them for free. Um, you can just go to my website, ElijahDavidson.com and go to books and you'll, you'll find your way to them. Yeah. Um, pretty easy to do. And sign up for my newsletter, get it for free, then unsubscribe if you want to. I don't care. Um, but, sure. <laughs> or if you, if you want to get them, uh, this PDF, you get a PDF that way. Um, but if you want to get it on Kindle, um, they're available on Kindle as well. They're like three bucks or something like that a piece on Kindle. Cool. Yeah. And there will be, yeah, yeah. so they're just digital right now. I'm, I'm currently working on a new one on James Cameron. Um, and once I finish the Cameron one, I'm going to put these four all together uh, and do a print version of these books as oh, well. Great. So if yeah. you really want the print thing, uh, just you kind of wait six months or so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they'll be one of those. So, yeah. Yeah. Great. That's, that's awesome to know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what, uh, what was your, I guess, like uh, personal, like journey, I guess, into, to loving film, like what sparked that in, in you and your, in your life? Yeah, I can't remember a time when I wasn't watching movies. My mm-hmm. uh, my parents really love movies, and um, I they were always they were always watching movies. They were always showing us movies that they loved, uh, and they're you know they're big fans of classic films. I think there's like never a time when TCM is not on in our house, my parents' house on some TV, um, and so they love they love classic films. They love new movies. We're always going to the movies all the time. Um, I just love movies. I have, I have so many memories of them sitting me. I have five younger siblings and uh, they would sit us all down to watch something, you know, uh, and maybe it was, uh, I mean, it might be vertigo was one that we all sat down and watched, you know, Hitchcock's mm-hmm. vertigo or um, uh, what else? Um, they, they really loved uh, Terry Gilliam. Uh, they really loved Terry Gilliam. So time bandits was one that they made sure we all sat down and watched. Or, okay. And then as I got older, you know, um, my, parents would sit me down to watch movies that were like maybe a little bit too old for my siblings. So sure. I have great memories of watching uh, like the Godfather and psycho and things like yeah. that uh, with my parents when I was older. So um, movies were always there. And I, uh, and then I of course loved them and watched them on my own as well. Uh, all, all growing up. So um, one of the best summers though, I, I got a job um, in the nearby I grew up in a very small town, like 700 people um, in the country. And, um, but the, the county seat town, I got a job in that town at a grocery store. Uh, and I would, I would get off work and uh, Blockbuster Video uh, had this promotion going on uh, when I was working there. And uh, it was for kids. Um, and you could sign up for it. And then you were allowed to rent like a movie for free every day or something like that as a kid. And oh, wow. they didn't really have a stated age limit on it. So I signed up for it. I was in high school um, and I signed <laughs> up for it anyway. And I would get off work uh, at the grocery store. I would go to Blockbuster. I would get a movie, 
come home and watch it that night. And then the next day, go to work again and return it at, when I was and get a new movie. And did that, I did that like all you know all summer long and through the fall. Yeah. Um, and that was a that was a time when I really watched a lot of stuff I'd always heard about. Um, mm-hmm. so I just pick it up from Blockbuster and watch it and move on through. So, um, yeah, fond memories of that of that summer and fall. <laughs> yeah, that's that. that's an awesome memory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so movies have always been there and for me and um, um. Uh, that's never wavered, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Followed right right through uh, to your career, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, um, writing about movies came about um, not accidentally. I, I had I was I've always been a writer, um, and I always kind of wrote about everything in my life, including the movies I was watching. And then um, when I started working for then Real Spirituality, um, my first big job was to revitalize our website. Um, mm. and so I started writing film reviews, um, of current releases all the time because we needed content on our website. Um, and I've just continued doing that and, um, it ended up being a nice, as I was figuring out, like my, whatever ministry leading leanings I had and my writing and all that kind of stuff, they just seemed like this is the thing that God put in front of me to do. So this is the thing I'll mm. write about. And continue doing so as long as I feel like there's something new in front of me to write about. <laughs> sure. When it comes to movies. <laughs> so, um, I've always said my, my only real sense of like calling uh, is just to write. Uh, and yeah. this is movies are the thing that are in front of me to write about now. So keep doing that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Great. Yeah. And, uh, and what about Christopher Nolan? What, what's your first memory of, of a Christopher <sighs> Nolan film? I knew you were going to ask me that and I've been thinking about it um, <laughs> and trying to figure it out. I, I'm pretty sure my first Nolan um, did the prestige come out in 2006. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I don't think it was the prestige in theaters though. I do remember that being in theaters because uh, the illusionist was also out at the same time, the end right. movie. And mm-hmm. uh, I remember going to the movies and seeing both those films with my mom and my sisters. Um, mm. And we would talk about which one we liked more. And we liked The Illusionist more at the time, um, which I haven't watched in years. And I've watched The Prestige un- <laughs> so many times since then. Um, yeah. It's kind of held up more. But um, so I remember that one being in theaters and seeing that one in theaters. Uh, but I'm pretty sure I saw Memento um, on DVD. Uh, I think. I was trying to when I was in college, I think, um, which would have been around around the same time it came out. So it would have been relatively new and like newly on DVD. Um, and I went through a little a little phase during college where I watched um, like Mindbender movies. I like read about mm-hmm. this is like early internet days, not really early internet days, good internet days. And uh, yeah. I like found lists of like mindbending movies. I watched Primer. Um, around the same time and really enjoyed primer. I was really into lost, which has a lot of, you know, time yeah. messed up things and mind bending stuff. And then I'm pretty sure I, in something I was reading came across m- the film memento. And mm-hmm. I remember watching that when I was in college. Um, but I don't think it registered for me as like a Christopher Nolan movie. It was just a weird right. movie, you know? Right. Um, and watch that. I think the first time I knew I was watching a Christopher Nolan movie like a, a Christopher Nolan movie, you know, kind right. of thing. Um, was probably 
like I definitely knew he directed Batman Begins. Mm-hmm. Um, and we liked Batman Begins. We thought that was pretty fun for a Batman movie. I remember that was during a time where like my fam, my dad and I would always liken everything to like, oh, it's like they made a Bourne movie, but with Batman. Um, yeah. <laughs> and oh, they made a Bourne movie, but it's James Bond. Jason Bourne influenced so much, we thought, at the time. Um, so I know that he, I knew he directed Batman Begins. Um, but it was, it was probably, it was probably The Dark Knight. Probably mm-hmm. when I first realized I was watching a Christopher Nolan movie. Right. Uh, and then it felt, it feels to me in retrospect, like Inception was the one where people were really like, oh, this guy's for real. You know, like that back to back of Dark Knight and Inception. Um, and that kind of like skyrocketing his popularity, his notoriety. Um, yeah. It feels like that era was somewhere in there. Yeah. 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 And, you know, jumping jumping into inception off of that it it really does feel like inception was the first movie that was kind of almost like marketed as a christopher Mm. nola movie kind of off the success of dark knight yeah yeah Yeah. so i mean you have you have i mean you have leo in the movie and so it's easy to market a movie with leo in it for sure Mm -hmm. but it, it did feel like you know okay now he's done Batman Begins. He did the Dark Knight. Dark Knight made you know so much money. Yeah. Um. And uh. And now they're like, hey, this is the guy that made you know the Dark Batman Begins and the Dark Knight, and mm-hmm. um, come see this other like huge budget movie that he's made that we don't really know what it's about. Yeah. Uh, sort of thing. Yeah. So yeah, uh, really interesting. I was um when inception came out i was in college um and i remember um it, which i feel like is the perfect like age uh-huh. for to like for inception to come out at it's yeah. like prime like philosophical mind bending uh-huh. like you were talking about like yeah. uh, digging into those questions with your friends you know mm-hmm. um so that that was a lot of fun um having that come out you know, when I, when I was in college. Um, but yeah, I, you know, um, I, uh, my, you know, my memory is a little bit fuzzy too of my first Nolan. I I want, I'm pretty sure it was Batman begins Mm -hmm. just because, you know, I would have definitely seen a Batman movie. Yeah. No matter what, you know, who did it sort of thing. But, but yeah, I, I definitely, you know, once the, the dark Knight came out, and Inception was coming out. Um, I went back and watched, you know, the Prestige, and so um, Nolan was for me. He was like my kind of next level into like loving film, mm. um, and you know that college kind of yeah. excitement of oh, there's more to movies than just like what you know what cool line or what you know mm-hmm. blows up or yeah um you know that sort of thing yeah. um he's definitely a so, good um uh, gateway philosophical filmmaker <laughs> yeah yeah for sure yeah yeah i uh I, I i think i described him in an earlier episode as like a um cinephile gateway drug yeah uh, totally. sort of <laughs> uh-huh yeah yeah we don't um, have we really don't have a lot of like big budget movies these days that have a very yeah. strong like 
auteurist perspective, um, mm-hmm. like really big budget stuff, like blockbuster stuff like that. Like even even filmmakers like Spielberg, you know, have kind of his movies don't open like that anymore. You know, like yeah. people go see him, but he makes a lot much smaller movies now than he used to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was trying to think of other. I mean, a Tarantino movie is kind of an event, you know, yeah. um, kind of an event, but kind of not in the way that Nolan is like, you don't like people mm-hmm. go see Tarantino movies, but like my mom and dad don't go out of the way to see a Tarantino movie, you know, as much sure. as they love movies, but they would definitely go see a Christopher Nolan movie. You know, you can't, right. you can't miss that. It's like, it's like popular, popular level filmmaking but with like real ideas and vision. Like it's, it's like, it's like Ridley Scott or, or James Cameron or mm-hmm. Hitchcock, you know, it's like that mm-hmm. level of popular and also thoughtful kind of interesting right. filmmaking. Yeah. Right. And, and someone that you can really like dig into Mm-hmm. you know perfect for a series like this or for yeah. you know your your book that you can really dig into and and see not you know the the thematic lines and also like the the technical like how they mm-hmm. made it lines going through their movies like um yeah it really um really love that and the cool thing about um inceptions uh specifically is that this is a movie that like goes back goes all the way back to you know his kind of inception of loving film yeah. um mm-hmm. you know he he was um you know in our overview episode talked about you know his kind of high school um boarding school days and he would you know listen to sound movie soundtracks on his walkman after lights out <laughs> and that's sort of where um where he kind of traces the idea for this movie all the way back to then Mm. Um, just kind of like that dream space of wondering like how can, can dreams interact and, you know, Mm. just laying in, in bed, I probably like half dreaming (laughs) as he did. Um, uh, And, you know, he, back then he was kind of conceiving of it as like more of a horror movie and it it kind of stayed just that idea for a long time um and uh yeah he 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 kind of talks about how when he went to university he had like a i guess like a meal plan of some sort okay um that he had paid for at the beginning of the semester and so he would stay up these late nights doing you know whatever college students do but he would always make sure no matter when he went to sleep that he woke up at 8 a.m. and went and ate his breakfast that he had already paid 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 for. for. Yeah. And then he would go back to sleep. And when he would go back to sleep, he would have these like lucid dreams where he was like, he felt like he knew he was in a dream and he was in control. He even talks about, he would have a dream on a beach where he was aware that he had like created every grain of sand on the beach in in his, you know, in his dream, in his mind. Um, and so it's just like this growing idea of dreams. What are dreams? What what are they for? What do they do? <laughs> um, that um, yeah, it, like a, a fascination with them, which is interesting, um, in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the yeah. So 
Go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say his like his his approach to thinking about what dreams are and what they do mm-hmm. is just is always like is very interesting to me because you know there's like a there's an old movie thing that like movies are dreams you know like shared yeah. dreams mm-hmm. um, that the audience shares together and um, and I've always kind of balked at that um, kind of definition of what a movie is because um, movies aren't dreams like there's some filmmakers who make dreamy movies you know like mm-hmm. are really good at making movies that behave like dreams um right. so like uh someone like david lynch you know like mm-hmm. i just got to see mulholland drive released in theaters uh recently that was fantastic experience yeah. in the theater with the crowd and um you know that's a movie that works on dream logic like really works on like oh, a yeah. dream um like dreams do or <clears throat> you think you think of filmmakers like um like Andre Tarkovsky, um, mm-hmm. where you know things don't work exactly like real life in his movies, or uh, you know, and you can go back to you know Boonwell and people like that mm-hmm. who were like really trying to work in the surrealism dream state kind of thing. Oh yeah, um, but no one doesn't do that thing. Like he's too much of a materialist. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, and so it like I it's like I think his his thing of like the memento thing where like. I think it's truer that most movies we watch work like memories, not like dreams. Mm-hmm. It's a shared memory that we have because in memory, like we leave out all the boring stuff. We only remember the highest points and the low points. And that's what a movie mm-hmm. is, you know? Um, yeah. And there's like a cause and effect thing that we make up in our head about why something happened. And that's what a movie is like. Yeah. It's almost like an after the fact, um, after the fact, uh, uh, what's the word? Um, um, justification, that's not the right word, but for like why something happened. We make a, right. a memory is, tell ourselves a story yeah. about it. And like Nolan does, gets that, I think, better than most. Um, yeah. And so it's interesting that he made a, that he made a dream movie and what he's interested in is not the surrealist stuff. It's just the, wait, how do dreams work? And why do yeah. our minds do that? You know? Yeah. And, and even like, I mean, there's, there's exposition in the movie about, yeah how dreams and memories kind of interconnect mm-hmm. um, and you know, how, how that relates to reality yeah. Um, yeah. is, it, you know, right there said out loud in, in the, in the yeah. script. So uh-huh. there's, there yeah. is so much exposition and things said <laughs> yes. right out loud in the script and inception. Um, yes. In fact, if, if beyond the, the interesting ways it's edited together, it's like the distinguishing factor mm-hmm. of this movie is how much exposition there is. Uh, yes. And I went through a phase with this film where I didn't like that, um, how yeah. much exposition it was. And I've kind of come all the way through that point now where I like, I appreciate the exposition mm-hmm. <laughs> all over again, like better than I did before. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> and kind of admire it uh, for how really audacious it is to put so much exposition uh, in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I think I, I, I can't remember where, but I saw it, it, it really like when, when I read this, it, cl- it clicked of like, Oh, this makes total sense. Um, so like when you think about a heist movie, which this very much mirrors, oh, yeah. um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you, you think about that. So like think about oceans 11, um, like how much exposition they do in that movie. And it's mm-hmm. just like, part of the fun of the movie is like talking through how you're going to do mm-hmm. what you're going to do. Yeah. Um, and that's exactly what's happening in inception. Like mm-hmm. that's part. 
so like if you i get i guess you have to take off uh your like critic glasses a little bit um and just say okay but is it kind of fun to <laughs> to yeah. learn all the rules and think uh-huh. about this like th- how you're going to pull this off with these mm-hmm. guys um so maybe just take like your glasses you do... off and like clean them a little bit put them back on yeah. so you can understand that oh it's a heist movie <laughs> and in heist movies you always have exposition uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Now, like, is it a, is it a fun heist movie like Ocean's Eleven? Not exactly. Yeah, it is in some ways, but um, uh, it's a little bit heavier, I guess, in in content than that. But um, mm-hmm. but yeah, the the formula is definitely there. Yeah. Um, of yeah. why it's needed, and really, like a lot of, you know, I've heard the kind of criticism of, you know, why can't you just show us visually? Mm-hmm. you know, these rules and why you have to do things. But really like it for one, the movie's already two hours and 20 minutes. Uh-huh. And it's and, doing tons of visual things. It's yeah. not like there's a lack of visual right. storytelling going on. <laughs> and there really is. I feel like a lot of the exposition is kind of like tied to visual cues that um, mm-hmm. kind of tie into the exposition. Um you know, just yeah. one of the things Nolan does a lot of in all of his movies is these intercut shots with objects or flashback mm-hmm. memories. Um, and there's a lot of that going on, like when there's exposition happening here. Yeah. So um, I even think that that criticism is a little bit misjudged. Mm-hmm. Um, um, it's also of kind of film. funny. Like now, what are we like? Uh, one, two, three, we're four films past Inception in his career now. And mm-hmm. now the most common criticism of his films is that you can't understand the dialogue. Um, <laughs> yeah. So now we have a movie where people are t- tired of the dialogue and don't want to hear the dialogue because it's too much. And now we're upset because we can't hear it. It's just so funny to me. Like we're never yeah. happy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we got to find something to uh, to throw at this guy making uh, yeah. hundreds of millions of dollars on all of his <laughs> That's movies. That's right. Making these um, great high concept films that nobody else yeah. is even attempting. So we, yeah. we got to criticize him for that something. He doesn't even see because he doesn't, you know, know, he doesn't even have a cell phone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will say, I will say that the first time. I watched Inception. First few times I watched Inception, I did not notice the exposition at all. You know, yeah. like I was just so caught up in what was going on that it never occurred to me to complain about them talking as much as they do because I needed mm-hmm. it. You know, like yeah, it's complicated enough, and uh, that I really appreciate <laughs> those moments yeah. when they explain to me again. Oh yeah, here the time's moving slower than there, and that's why this looks like the way it does. So like really helps the first time yeah. you're watching it. Cause it's something oh, yeah. that like I had never seen before. Um, mm-hmm. Never seen anyone do this kind of layered thing. Uh, and then, you know, they set it up in the first like hour and a half of the movie, um, all the rules of what goes on. And then they enter the dream within a dream within a dream. Um, and you start seeing the effect of those rules in action. And it's yeah. just mind blowing the first time you watch it. It is absolutely yeah. mind blowing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, jumping back a bit, uh, he, so he first pinned this sort of draft, like the draft that looks most like that kind of has the highest element in it instead of the horror element. Um, mm-hmm. he did that after insomnia. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and uh, kind of felt like, you know, uh, it's there's something missing. Um, and then, ba- of course, he got Batman Begins and he kind of set it aside. Um, uh, but, yeah, w- after Dark Knight came out, um, you know, he he really like jumped back to this. Um, uh, he had I guess he kind of presented it to WB. I, I think actually in 2002, they had given him the go ahead to like pin them something. Um, hmm. I can't remember the term for, for what studios do. Like there's a term for what studios give, uh, like filmmakers. Like Did they take an option. Yeah, an option. Exactly. Yeah. Um, they gave him the, you know, an option to, to pin this script for them. So that was what he did in 2002. And I think he got like 80 pages and just was like stuck. Um, hmm. and, uh, and yeah, he, he went, he, it was the third act that he, that he says he got stuck, stuck on. And he said, um, that it just didn't lead anywhere that paid off. Hmm. Um, which is, you know, I appreciate that. He was like reckoning with that as yeah. like a, a writer, as a, as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so when he went, when he finished with the dark Knight, um, while they were making that his fourth child was born, and um, he he kind of during the making of that movie kind of was like, man, I'm missing out on yeah. so much with my family because he had to fly in for the birth and then like fly right back mm-hmm. um, uh, to to keep working on mm-hmm. the Dark Knight. Um, and so after the Dark Knight uh, wrapped up, he went on like a month long vacation with his family in mm-hmm. Florida, somewhere in Florida. Um, and it was returning from that, that he kind of, he revisited this script and finally it clicked with him. Cause all those things were like rolling around, like missing yeah. his family, feeling like he, um, I guess even like feeling like you're losing that lifetime mm-hmm. of experience, yeah. um, with them. Uh, and then just like this even like imagery that he brought back of his kids, like playing with sandcastles, like that mm. you kind of end up seeing in the movie, um, all that kind of like ran together. And he, um, that was, I think that's when he finally like found the wife as the kind of emotional center, mm. the thing that, that it all like leads to the relationship with the, the wife, mm. um, the, the kind of family aspect. Um, and, um, yeah, he, uh, the the quote that I really liked that he said um, in talking about that was um, in in terms of like writing this movie, he says, I think I just had to grow into it, hmm. um, which I love that that I just love that thought of yeah. uh, an artist or a creator really like you can think of that, like whether you're creating art or creating, you know, a business or whatever. Yeah. Um, just having the, the insight to know to, or to see, like I had to grow to a certain point in my life and my maturity and my mm-hmm. wisdom to know what to do with this. Yeah. Um, which I thought was really, um, a cool aspect of the, the background of this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah it really is. It really, is. It, it really was a lifetime in the making, you know, yeah. going all the way back to his boarding school days, mm-hmm. um, that idea. Hmm. That's good. That's really interesting. And also, like, um, it it reminds me that, like, a conception does not 
immediately strike you as a personal film, you know, Mm -hmm. like how can a movie this big that has exploding mountainsides and, uh, you know, (laughs) and zero gravity fistfights and stuff like that be a personal film, you know? And, but there it is right there, you know, like it's a movie that, you know, ultimately is motivated by Christopher Nolan missing his kids and Mm -hmm. hating that he has to be away from them so much to make the films that he's making. Um, and working that out, (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know, working out the grief over the life, the years lost, um, with his children, um, because of the work that he's doing, which is, I mean, that's, that's Cobb's driving thing there, you know, like that's, I mean, it's the grief over his wife, uh, you know, that, that mall is dead, of course, um, Mm -hmm. a lot of grief there, but it's also what he's really sad about now is that he's not with his kids and that's what he's trying to fix. Yeah. Yeah. So even something as big as Inception, you know, is, you know, a personal, personal thing. Yeah. 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 And I even like, talk, like thinking about this as we're talking, you know, I've, I've even heard like the people like poking like plot holes, like, why doesn't you just fly the kids to Paris or yeah. whatever? Yeah. Um, and thinking about like the parallels to his life is like, why doesn't he just fly his family to the set? And it's like, well, it doesn't really work that way. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. He's even if they're there, like he's not with them. He's right. on the set. He's working. Yeah. Um. And yeah, so and, and Cobb's the always, parallel Cobb's still works. Run. Yeah. Cobb's on the run all the time. Like he can't be anywhere mm-hmm. because he's right. He's hunted. He's a hunted man. Um. Mm-hmm. Like even when he first decides to go to Paris to talk to Michael Caine, to I guess that's Maul's dad. Um, yeah. You know, like um, Arthur asking, "Are you sure? Like, are you sure about that?" He's like, "Yeah, no one's gonna care. Um, like, I, I yeah. can I can get away with it if I'm not here very long." You know, and yeah, extradition between France is a bureaucratic nightmare or whatever. So like they, they address <laughs> that. He, he can't really settle anywhere, which is, you know, I have, um, you know, my, my friends who are filmmakers and like work in the industry and like work on big budget, giant movies, you know, like stuff like Inception or whatever. Like that's a hard thing about their life is that they're gone so much. Um, yeah. you know, they're always, they're always like a, a month or two away from their next gig where they're going to be in, I don't know, Poland or somewhere you sure. know, or Canada or Atlanta or wherever they're going to be um, mm-hmm. shooting their next film. Um, and they're always away and yeah. they do, they miss, they miss their family. They miss their community. They miss everything um, mm-hmm. while they're gone. So big, big, hard part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I mean, it's a sacrifice um, for sure. Um yeah, uh, yeah, no, uh, you know, keep on going, Nolan. So he gets the script to to WB, and they're like, sure, you know, here's 160 million dollars. You know, go make your movie that we don't really understand. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, um, that that's the other thing about Nolan at this point in his career is like he has worked so hard at building that trust um with the studio system which i feel like is um it's i feel like it's a strange relationship filmmakers have with studios i mean we're we're in the middle of two huge strikes with the actors um and the the writers Mm -hmm. um and uh that you know that relationship is just so it's such a strange I guess world of uh, navigating the politics of that. Yeah. Um, and I guess Nolan just has 
figured his path through. Yeah, he's like one through. of the one of the few lucky ones. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know who has. Uh, and but even it's even hard for him though. You know, like mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, they'll give him one hundred fifty million dollars to make make a movie, whatever. But you know, like he had to. Um, you know, he 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 and Warner Brothers, um, you know, ran afoul of each other on, about the release of Tenet. Um, and so he did not make Oppenheimer with Warner Brothers, um, yeah. you know, and, um, couldn't, couldn't work with him. And he was, so even, even Nolan, someone like him, you know, can still, you know, that, that clash of the commerce and the art thing can happen. Yeah. So it's tough. It's yeah, tough. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, when this, so when at, at the same time, you know, along those same lines, when this came out was when like IP film material is really like exploding mm-hmm. um with you know marvel coming on the scene with their um cinematic universe and um yeah. just everyone was uh, you know this is i think this is probably the beginnings of a lot of the the reboot remakes mm-hmm. that we you know we're still getting today yeah. um 2011 yeah, yeah, two thousand ten. That was like that was before Avengers. Um, mm-hmm. That was still when people were like, "I'm not sure this Marvel thing's gonna work." You know, yeah, <laughs> well yeah. before it, but, that well, kind of thing became a Avengers was like on the calendar though yeah. already at that point. Like mm-hmm. people knew it was coming. Yeah, um, that was twenty twelve. Twenty twelve. Yeah, twenty twelve for Avengers. Yep. Yeah, so was, I remember that um, time. It was still like, well, you know this. Thor movie's kind of okay. That's yeah. kind of fun. Um, Captain America's fine. I'm not sure how they're going to put all this together, but you know, mm-hmm. they said they got big plans. We'll see how that goes. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I mean, know. so you you have that where they're like telling you everything they're going to do. Like mm-hmm. we're going to make this movie and this movie, and then we're going to put them all together in the Avengers. Yeah. And then you have Inception, where it's like the the trailer is just like crumbling buildings and it's mm-hmm. like dreams. And you're wall, like, what in the sense. world? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> what in the world is this movie? Yeah. Uh, and uh, just like yeah. the juxtaposition there is great. And yeah. having the, I guess, you know, the marketing part wasn't on Nolan, but whoever it was marketing that with, you know, the secrecy mm-hmm. of it being what was, what made it, what gave it all the hype, I guess you would say is, yeah. was really well done. Yeah. Um, for sure. But I mean, that's Nolan's MO too. Mm-hmm. Um, like even for this movie, he had well, for the script, the actors either had to come to his office or, um, he had like some, a guard take it to their, their mm-hmm. house and they wouldn't leave until he finished. And then they would take it when yeah. they left. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, which I love. I, I've always, there's several stories of that sort of thing happening yeah. with Nolan that yeah. I just love. <laughs> yeah. It makes sense to like, it's cause it's not like his movies have like twists in them that you don't want spoiled. I mean, prestige kind of does, but like yeah. the rest of them don't really have like big twists, but it's more like if you heard someone describe what this movie is before you've seen it, you would think it sounded really stupid yeah. and there's no way that could work, mm-hmm. you know? Like, yeah. And so I, you wouldn't want like that kind of bad word of mouth out there where people were like something about dreams within dreams. I don't know. Like, yeah. you, like you wouldn't want, if I was Nolan, I wouldn't want people coming into this, my weird high concept movie 
with a preconceived idea of what they're going to see because it's not going to be what they think it is, you know? Yeah. Um, you'd, you'd want a clean slate for everyone. Yeah. 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 You don't possible. want, you don't want, um, like your film bro buddy to explain it to you. Yeah. You want Leonardo DiCaprio to explain it to you. That's right. <laughs> again and again and again over the course of three yeah. hours and 20 minutes. So you exactly. always know exactly where you are. And it really helps if <laughs> Ellen Page is there too. Um, yes. So in case you don't get it, she can ask questions so that you can hear yeah. it all over again. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Um, but yeah. It, uh, again, I love the exposition. I yes. love the exposition now. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and as far as influences go, this, I mean, there's, the list could probably go on and on. Um, you know, Nolan notoriously uh, references Ridley Scott for every movie. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Ridley Scott's an influence. Um, yeah. Uh, I didn't see when I was doing my research, I didn't see Blade Runner uh, mentioned for this movie. And that might be the first time I've seen <laughs> Blade Runner mentioned for one of these movies. Yeah. Um, but yeah, That's I funny. Mean, so when um, he, when he, um, when he mentions Ridley Scott, I was thinking about this, like where, what, what's he latching on to there? You know, like, cause I, I think of Ridley Scott, I always say Ridley Scott makes movies about buttons and cups. Like he's a, like he's a detail filmmaker, you know, mm-hmm. and like sometimes his movies aren't even when his movies aren't good, they're fun to watch because he's gonna get all those details correct all throughout. Mm-hmm. Like like that um that Russell Crowe Robin Hood movie. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Not very good. But like I can watch that movie anytime and just geek out over the textures of their clothing. Um sure. and I think Ridley Scott geeks out over the textures of their clothing too, you know? Mm-hmm. Um and I guess like I could see Nolan really like attaching to that. Like there's a, there's a real visceralness to a Ridley Scott film always. Yeah. There's like kind of a uh, big classic emotional movements and that Nolan does that too. And mm-hmm. then Nolan, the materialist, I think would probably really enjoy how much texture there is to a Ridley yeah. Scott movie. Um, that's just my guesses though. Have you read yeah. like what he loves about Ridley Scott? Yeah, they're British. I, I they're think, both British, so I, that could be it too. Right. <laughs> so I mean, part of it is he Blade Runner was like his favorite movie. It was, um, it was he saw I think uh, Blade Runner uh, and he watched Alien around the same time, and mm-hmm. it was like the first time he realized that there was a director behind mm-hmm. the camera. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think part of it is just that that latch back to the the first time that he like really aware realized, yeah. Oh, there's a thread mm-hmm. between these two movies. They have a similar atmosphere. Mm. Um, and I think, uh, I think the atmosphere of those movies, like you, if you think of the, like you said, like kind of the textures and the atmosphere yeah. of Blade Runner, mm-hmm. um, you get, I mean, you do get that in the got like Gotham of Batman begins mm-hmm. a yeah. lot. Um, and uh and then too like you get the kind of um in those in in his more sci-fi ventures you do get those kind of philosophical musings um mm-hmm. kind of like into who we are as humans and what yeah. uh, you know no one seems very interested in the choices we make and why mm-hmm. we make them and oh, yeah. you know um some, For sure. Scott seems interested in that too. So maybe mm-hmm. it's it's some of that. Um Yeah, I can see even, that. 
like the even like um, Ridley Scott's work, like a like a, a an underlying moral question mm-hmm. about like how do we which is be true of no, very true of Nolan, like how do we decide what's the right thing to do? Sure, and that kind of being a fundamental question that Ridley Scott's protagonists tend to face. Yeah, um, I can see and that. And the, the simplicity of it too, mm-hmm. um, of that of how you deal with that question, because if you think of so I, I haven't seen a ton of Ridley Scott, but I've seen, I feel like enough, uh, a good handful. And, you know, I've seen all of Nolan um, and mm-hmm. that the way he, he boils down those moral questions to something that's simple and easy to like mm-hmm. dissect. Yeah. Um, uh, and so like, uh, hmm. yeah, I, I feel like that's a, a common theme. I see that. But even just like he, he pulls random things like um, like one of the things in my Batman Begins research was he was very interested in making in like why um, why the why the gangsters would be scared of Batman. Mm. Um, and he pulled like the the kind of um, elusive like horror of Alien. Yeah. Um, into how he used Batman in those huh. action scenes. Um, yeah. Huh. And like, I mean, it's even, you think about like the, f- that first, uh, scene with, um, the fight at the, um, in the freight yard. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like totally. the guys backing up, like, where are you? And uh-huh. then it's his face right there. Like yeah. so here. And that's like very <laughs> recent, reminiscent of like the alien upside uh-huh. down. Like, yep. you know, um, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Uh-huh. So Interesting. It, there's a lot of stuff. He, he, he does love. He he just loves Ridley Scott. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one to love. Ridley Scott's yeah. hardly ever made a bad movie. So yeah, huh. yeah, and uh, Kubrick too. Um, yeah, you can see Kubrick. You know, one of the all over the stuff. The visual of the the centrifuge was yeah. something that like he latched onto from a young age. Uh huh. Um, yeah. and, and then, then he got to this, spin the hotel hallway around. Yeah, yeah this is <laughs> where he finally gets to do his own centrifuge. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which is yeah. really masterfully done. Oh gosh, that um, yeah, I've seen Inception countless times, but that scene, that hallway fight scene with Josh Gordon Levitt running on the walls, like still mm-hmm. like makes my heart race every time. It's just amazing, yeah. and mm-hmm. and just to know that like he's really doing that. Like we're not because you know it's Nolan, so like we're not we're not watching a lot of digital trickery um, right. to make this happen. Um, they they've choreographed this thing and they're doing oh, yeah. this, and it just it it's like well it's like another movie that old movie like it's like fred astaire dancing on the walls you know mm-hmm. and y- y- even if you know how they do it it's still incredible um, yeah to watch yeah yeah oh. yeah and the it, there, there's part of the artist um interest there too of like a lot of times artists are are just as interested in how something is done as mm-hmm. like what's oh, yeah. done, which mm-hmm. comes through both in the exposition, but also like in you kind of seeing, you know, you it's, you know, in the movie, they, they kind of bring eventually Fisher along for the ride. Like right. they, they clue him in that he's watching a movie. Mm-hmm. And when you watch a Nolan movie, um, you know, there's, there's things that happen where you, where you're kind of clued in. Oh yeah, I'm watching a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Nolan's okay with you watching it and thinking like, wow, how did he do that as yeah. you're watching the movie? Like he yeah. wants you to have those moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's so definitely too. one of them for sure. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is probably his most, 
movie movie, you know, like mm-hmm. where like you, I mean, it's, I love the, I love the idea that like, this is all a giant metaphor for filmmaking. Like I love, yeah. it's all a giant metaphor for filmmaking, even down to like, like Cobb looking like, looking like Christopher Nolan, yeah. you know, and like being <laughs> yes. the director and you got the producer with Arthur and you had the, yeah. uh, the set designer, production designer with uh, Ariadne and on and on and on actor with Tom Hardy mm-hmm. and so forth, you know? Um, I, yeah. I love, I love that little wrinkle to it all that you're, you're talking about how movies are made. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then of course Fisher is the audience and whatnot. Right. Um, but he's done that other times too. Like that's one reason I really love watching Tenet is Tenet is a movie that's about how movies work also, you know? Um, okay. And like the kind of what it means when you watch a film go backwards you know, and what that would sure. be if you were living in that frame that was going backwards, but you could walk through it and the way that you mess with time, like the way that movies mm-hmm. allow you to mess with time is like a central interest to Nolan. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I always love the Tarkovsky quote uh, that, you know, movies are sculptures in time or sculptures mm-hmm. of time. Um, and I think Nolan really latches on to that uh, and explores that in the same way that someone like Tarkovsky does just in these giant big budget action movies. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and then what that does to us, we're getting ahead of myself, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it's, He's a movie. <laughs> yeah, he is interested. Like, so my my theory on that is so a lot of people are like, oh, Nolan made a movie about like filmmaking. And my my kind of take on that is like, well, I don't think like well, I, I I even wrote down a quote where he said, like, I didn't set out to make a movie about movies. Yeah. Um, like he he recognizes that it's in there. Like he he kind of yeah. talks about how, like, oh yeah, it's I can see how that's in there, but it's not what I was trying to do. And so mm-hmm. my take is just like, he's just working from what he knows. He is totally. Like he's been, yeah. he's just, he's been doing this, you know, nonstop for a decade. Yeah. And so I think of it, I think of it as like a, like a band's second album, right? Mm-hmm. Like a band's second album is almost always about how much it sucks to be on the road. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> and like whatever else is going on in the album, like that's always a big part of what's going on. And I know yeah. this is not Nolan's second movie, but it feels like his second album um, <laughs> where even if he didn't intend for it to be about that, it's a lot about how it sucks to be a yeah. filmmaker. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, like what's hard about that. <laughs> yeah. I even, um, I, this is one that I, that I didn't really see anywhere, but I'm, I almost wonder if like Mal uh, in the movie represents like the filmmakers, like subconscious, like, uh, they're this kind of subconscious things that they're dealing with in their life, kind of force keeping on forcing their way back into yeah. his movies. Uh-huh. Yeah. I like that. That's good. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she, yeah. she keeps showing up. He can't get rid of her because you know, he's, he, he's trying to deal with his grief, but mm-hmm. he doesn't have time to. Yeah. And so <laughs> until, so he, until he just shows up in his movies. Down. Right. Until he finally sits down and deals with it uh, yeah. <laughs> at the end. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. I like that. The uh, I like that a lot. Yeah, maybe it's his yeah his guilt over missing his kids' life. I mean, obviously, his guilt mm-hmm. over being away, his guilt over everything, and his uh, other who knows what else is going on within things we'll never know that are going on oh, in yeah. movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, um, that other other influences. Uh, the, I think so. He he's mentioned 
MC Escher uh, mm-hmm. before, but this sure. is the first time where like, I really think it's, I mean, it's like in your face, yeah. <laughs> MC Escher, like stuff going on uh-huh. um, as far as like, I mean, the, the Parisian street folding, yeah. the city folding, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the Penrose steps, yep. um, all of that stuff is like, he just, he was having a lot of fun with that, which mm-hmm. I love. Yeah. Um, I love the, it, I love his, like his awareness that, you know, like you look at Escher drawings and stuff like that and they're, they're 2d drawings. That's why they work. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, right. But I love his realization that, Oh, when I make a movie, I'm putting people into a 2d environment so mm-hmm. I can make this stuff happen in this environment with people walking around and doing stuff, real people. Um, yeah. That's, just, that's fun. You know, that's really cool. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And the, in the, like behind the scenes on the, the DVD, um, the, uh, I think it was, um, a couple of different guys just talking about like, they had to like plug in numbers, uh, like they had to use a computer to like work out mathematically uh-huh. how to make the illusion work for the Penrose steps in 3d. Yeah. Um, which was really <laughs> fun. Uh, yeah. uh, you could see like the guys that were talking about the math, uh-huh. like geeking out. <laughs> like they were like, this is my time to shine. I'm going to talk about math on a yeah. behind the scenes <laughs> thing. I, um, I that shot when when uh, Arthur is explaining it to Ariadne and the mm-hmm. steps, and you know the camera move is so simple. The camera move is just it just raises, just a right. boom lifting the camera up, which shows you what you were just looking at that you could have sworn was one thing, but it mm-hmm. like shifts the shifts the angle and you can see what it is and yeah. like. I was watching that this time, just thinking about how difficult that would have been to set up for it yes. to be as perfect as it is. Yes. Um, where then all you have to do is move the camera up to show, you know, what's really going on. And it, it, like, it's, it's, it's a simple thing, like a simple visual, but that mm-hmm. was probably in so incredibly complicated on set. To oh actually yeah. Do that one little trick, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other, the other influence that, comes up a lot with um nolan is um jorge louis borges or borges i don't i'm not exactly sure how to pronounce it but um but yeah yeah yeah, i've never read any of his stuff but i'm really intrigued and i'm kind of feel motivated to read some of his short stories because like he keeps coming up yeah i've read Um, a few you ever read any of it i have yeah i've read a few a good friend of mine is a huge fan and uh every now and then he'll be like you have to read this and i'm like hand me his collection you know and like maybe yeah. read a couple but uh yeah they're great it, it's, yeah it's 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 mind-bending and philosophical um mm-hmm. and kind of uh kind of in the vein of um oh like uh kafka like kafka-esque kind of okay. mind-bending circular things going on uh yeah. but super super fun yeah 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 though um the one he referenced uh, most here was called the circular ruins, mm. um, which I, I pulled up. Um, I found it uh, where I could read it online. I just didn't get around to it. Um, and it's not even that long. Um, hmm. So I might read that maybe later this week. Yeah. <laughs> um, finally get around to reading some. Yeah. But yeah. This, so this movie, uh, the making of this movie. So when I, this was probably the most fun a lot of his movies are fun to dig into like the production um, of how he did it. But this one was just so fun uh, to read about all the, 
all the ways he made like the movie magic happen, you know? Uh-huh. Um, but I mean, this is, and this is too really his most like wide ranging film. Like mm-hmm. I, they shot in uh, five different cities, mm-hmm. I think around the world. Um, it, you know, it was seven. He spent as much time on this as he did shooting the dark Knight. Um, yeah. Huh. Like over half a year, I, I think. Um, shooting um but yeah it, uh and then you know like you said like he was very interested in he's always interested in shooting on location mm-hmm. but for this case he was very interested in making his dreams not like su- like super surreal mm-hmm. which um is the typical way that dreams are shown like yeah we, we kind of talked about that a little bit mm-hmm. um like you think about but, um like, the dolly sequences and like spellbound and things like mm-hmm. that like yeah you know, we're doing yeah, I watched that weird recently. spaces. Oh yeah. 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 And, uh, it was strange. I, I watched it, uh, for, um, we did a memory, uh, memory loss and mm. manipulation draft mm-hmm. for the memento episode. And, uh, I watched, uh, caught up with spellbound and oh, yeah, that cool. sequence is, is it's wild. Fun, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's it's, wild it's really fun. Yeah. Yeah. I love, um, I love that stuff. I, I love remembering that Salvador Dali was like a mid-century artist. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, I shouldn't forget that, but it, it's just cool those little crossovers. But yeah, yeah, or yeah, you know, it, or Lynch, you know, like Mulholland Drive, and you think about what he does to show mm-hmm. dream imagery in his films. Um, which there's a little bit more of a, a little bit more grounded in reality thing to what like Lynch will Lynch will do. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of what makes it a little bit more disturbing um, when yes. the weird stuff starts happening. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, but it's still like you know he he gets a lot of it across in his editing uh, yeah. as much as anything else. Um, not so much in the production design, like, like Hitchcock did. Yeah. Spellbound. And, yeah. and the sound, like um, there's like, uh, like I think of twin, like twin peaks, mm-hmm. um, especially like once you start getting into like the, the kind of other world and like the voices are like, sound like they're running backwards and forwards mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah. Um, it, um, yeah, just wild. But yeah. um, but no but one would love... never do that because <laughs> yeah, he's he's way too much too much of a materialist <laughs> to do anything like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Now I think I think like just reading about the way he talks about dreams, I think he just this is how he dreams. I think yeah, probably is. Um, and I <laughs> yeah, that's um, I listen to uh, a f- uh, there's a few podcasts that I kind of listen to. Um, I like to, you know, hear if they have any interesting thoughts that I didn't think of. Um, and, uh, several of them, uh, had like, you know, two people saying like, I do dream in that way. Well, I dream in a very surreal way. And so mm. like, there's even that, like, maybe part of like liking this movie depends on like, do mm. you think that, do you have like this subjective experience where you think dreams are surreal and no one's not mm. the intruder dreams well like no people do actually dream in a very like real um r- huh. real way like like happens kind of in this movie huh. um i mean just even thinking about like the the lucid you know him talking about those lucid dreams and like he would be on a beach and like be aware of like all the sand it's like yeah. he's actually like dreaming of something real in his in his dream space and yeah. being aware of it. And, hmm. um, uh, that, and then, 
he was even like becoming aware of I am like creating and perceiving at the same time, which they mm-hmm. kind of talk about in the movie. Yeah. Um, which is an interesting, just true, just I suppose. concept. Yeah. It's, it's true. And it's also, I think it's true, not just in dreams too. Um, mm-hmm. I think we, that's kind of how we live. We perceive and create at the same time. Like, mm-hmm. um, even just like, you know, thinking about like philosophy of one one is like yeah. thinking, thinking about, um, you know, um, you know, is this tree real or is it a projection of my mind? You're, you're like perceiving and creating the idea of mm-hmm. the tree at the same time. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he's, these are all things. And that's one of the things that Nolan um, has talked about is like, I like to sneak these really interesting philosophical ideas that I like to think about that most people don't into my movies to kind of force people force like everyday people to think about these strange things that I like to think Uh, about, which I love. Yeah. Good for Uh, him. (laughs) Yeah. Oh man. Um, But yeah, so this uh, talking about like shooting, in camera um this was um this was so there this probably has the most cgi out of all of his films i would guess mm-hmm. um and uh but it still uses like in camera shots as the foundation mm-hmm. so whenever you're seeing so the the scene that comes to mind that is easiest to like think about is like when everything starts exploding yeah. when, she, when Ariadne when she, realizes like, Oh, we're in a dream in Paris. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all that starts exploding. Well, they actually like used air cannons to like, like blow stuff past them. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, they had the digital artists like come in on that foundational, like real footage of them sitting with stuff blasting around them and add all the extra mm. like stuff in. Yeah. Um, and so, the I think I I heard somewhere or read somewhere that the standard today is like two thousand plus um, digitally like CGI scenes like okay. digital FX shots uh-huh. is like two thousand plus is like kind of the standard for a movie like this today okay. and this film had like five hundred like okay. right around wow. five hundred yeah so it's really like even still like by the, the standards is still like really low. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like digital augmentation. Like, yeah. Um, like I love the, I love the series better call Saul and mm-hmm. have you watched better call Saul? Um, I've watched a couple of seasons of it. At, I, uh, I just it's been love a while. it. And I, I love, I, I get, always buy the Blu-rays and I love watching all the behind the scenes stuff. That's all the commentary mm-hmm. tracks for every episode, just because it's, it's one of those shows that like, the people working on it had nothing to prove. Like they'd already proven everything with Breaking Bad. So they had nothing yeah. to prove. So they got to make this show that was just everything they ever wanted to do. And they had the greatest time just doing whatever they wanted and doing mm-hmm. it well, you know, doing it excellent um, and just having fun with it. And so like the commentary yeah. is super fun to listen to. And one of the things you learn is how often there is digital augmentation uh, mm. to what's on the screen. And it's never like, it's never like a, an explosion that's all CGI or right. um, whole green screen things like what happens in a lot of movies nowadays or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like, okay, we shot this and then we made that sign say a certain thing. So that sign that you're looking at is that's digital um, yeah. or 
we had this car roll over two or three times. That really happened. And um, we we fixed this thing here where the tire didn't do what we wanted it to do. You know, so yeah. it's just like a little bit of an augmentation to what you're seeing, not mm-hmm. full on created animation, basically. Yeah. Um, and that's what Nolan does. Um, yeah, you know, exactly. Digital augmentation. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it worked out. So is Nathan Crowley is his normal production designer up to this point. Um, but he was working on something else. Um, I don't remember what, uh, but, uh, guide Dias is, um, was kind of a up and coming guy at this point. Um, Mm. and like, uh, got connected, uh, to Nolan and actually listened to, um, have you ever listened to the the podcast that the Deacons, uh, Roger Deacons and his it. brother do? Yeah, I've heard um, about it. I've never listened to it. It's, yeah. it's really interesting. I've only listened to a few episodes, um, but I listened to, they had uh, this guy, Guy DS on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was fun to hear him talk about um, working with uh, Nolan on Inception. And, uh, but it, he had like, um, they had kind of like, uh, kindred spirits and like that idea of like having in camera being the foundation and then Mm. adding in. So he worked really hard, like really hard on coming up with stuff like the air cannons uh, um, for the, um, for the explosions. And even like they used uh, similar air cannons for like the water coming in, in Mm. the opening sequence Uh in the cat in the, like the Saito's castle. Yeah. Um, they actually like blew like thousands of gallons of water through air cannons, like through the windows. So they were trying to think like, how can we make this different than the, the typical thing you would do is just have a big dumpster container full of water and just open it and let it flood in. Flood in. They're like, they're like, what can we do where we can actually have the actor stand in the scene and film it real in camera. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of what they came up with, like shoot it through the windows. So smart. Um, yeah. It also works with what happening, what's happening to Cobb in that moment as he dropped into the pool. Cause you would think of the right. water splashing over him and it mm-hmm. splashes over big inside. But yeah. Both ways. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. It's one of those, one of those visual things that like people, I don't yeah. know why complain about in this movie show us visually. And he's like, well, yeah. I am, you know, so much. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Um, I also liked that, uh, Saito's castle, uh, Diaz talked about how something that he kind of brought was, um, the, he had spent a lot of time in, in Japan, um, when he was, uh, starting off his career. And, uh, mm. so he, a lot of that architecture, um, bringing that kind of like, old castle like Japanese castle with modern like lighting and stuff in it Hmm. um, as stuff he kind of brought that he had seen in Japan. Hmm. Um, And um, I love that, like the way Nolan works with, um, with like his production designers and, you know, Hans Zimmer, which we'll talk about. Um, But um, it's very like, you know, it's a, no one has his ideas, but when someone has an idea that's going to enhance his idea, like he's like, he's all for it. Like Diaz hmm. said, you know, he, I think at first he had a more of a, like a Scottish looking thing that he was going huh. for. And, uh, Diaz was like, well, this guy's, you know, Japanese, like yeah. I have these ideas and no one's like, well, show me, you know, show me what it would look like. And he yeah. drew it out and he was like, yeah, I like it. Let's, let's do it. Huh. Uh, that's cool. Yeah. So, you know, 
something that um something that I've appreciated with the West series that I did and then this Nolan series is just like learning about how these filmmakers kind of build these like little small communities mm-hmm. of artists and like yeah grow with one another in their in their work. Mm-hmm. Um and that's just like a, a really small example of that of like two people kind of growing in their work and coming yeah. together to make something really cool. Yeah. Um, it's cool. Uh but yeah it, it and it and just the way the camera works in this too is all real. Like when the earthquake happens like he it, there you can see um I think you can see a little bit of like b-roll footage of like making of stuff but um nolan talks about how he had wally fister his uh his dp like physically like shaking the camera himself (laughs) for the like the earthquake shots Uh and so like even that's Uh like not digitally done it's he's like (laughs) literally shaking the camera um which i love but uh yeah so i think some of my favorite like i think one of my favorite like I did this for real things was the train uh-huh. and the first level dream. Uh, yeah. Once we start getting into the heist. Uh, so that train is, um, was built with like plywood and plastic molds huh. on, um, on a semi truck ch- chassis. Like could drive it through. And, yeah. And they literally just drove that through, huh. uh, through those cars and stuff um, huh. had to figure out a way that it could like hit the cars and not break. Uh-huh. Um, huh. Yeah. Nolan, man, that like, yeah. that's the thing that like, uh, kind of, I don't know how it's, it's endearing. I'll mm-hmm. often it's endearing about Nolan is that like other filmmakers would use miniatures, you know, if they want to do it real, yeah. they'll use miniatures. And mm-hmm. Nolan's like, nah, I'm doing miniatures. Like, we're going to drive through real cars. Yeah. We're going to flip a real semi-truck. Mm-hmm. We're going to drive an airplane into a hangar. You know, like, yeah. he does it. I have $160 million. Why would I do a miniature? <laughs> Why would I do that? I know. Cracks me up. I was, yeah, I've been working on the Cameron book lately. And I was uh-huh. watching the special features on Terminator 2. And, uh, on Terminator, on Terminator. First Terminator. And uh, there's a scene in there where a tanker truck blows up. Uh, and I've watched Terminator so many times and I always assumed it was just a real tanker truck because it looks incredibly real. And then I watched mm-hmm. a special feature and it's like a miniature that they did. And it's like such a astoundingly oh, wow. good miniature, you know? And I was watching that thinking about talking about Nolan too. And I was like, Nolan, come on. Nolan would just, <laughs> he just blow up a tanker truck, you know? Yeah. Like he just doesn't oh, think, yeah. he doesn't think that way. <laughs> yeah. That people like Cameron think, which I love. Yeah. Like, it's great. <laughs> yeah. He even like had the, had like the visual, I guess, insight, um, uh, probably like along with like the, the, the production designer and whatnot, um, to think about like, Oh, but there's no rails. Um, <laughs> right. okay. Well, we'll just like grate into the asphalt, um, <laughs> to make it look like it's been like, <laughs> like driving going through the, on asphalt. the asphalt. It's so yeah. good. That's yeah. so good. And just and so good. the and, you know, visual and, yeah, and of I'm, that I, is just great. It's so good. And like in an era where so much, we know so much is fake, you know, that mm-hmm. it's so much that we watch is CGI and like, it doesn't mm-hmm. have, even if it's really well done CGI, we know it's CGI. Um, yeah. And so I think like in that context, Nolan's insistence on doing it for real contributes to his reputation and why we enjoy watching his movies so much, you know, like, and why for his sure. movies are so popular. Cause you know, when he goes to the Nolan thing, even if it's something like interstellar, 
which is all kinds of out there, you know, mm-hmm. you're still going to see something real. Um, yeah. On some level, you're watching something real and not just something that is made in a computer. Um, not just really good mm-hmm. animation, you know? Um, yeah. Like he wouldn't have, no one wouldn't have worked in another era the same way. Um, right. Cause like you can watch, you can watch David Lean movies and David Lean's doing it for real because you have to do it for real. Like, right. You know, there's, there's <laughs> not computers to make your armies, uh, to make your armies in Lawrence of Arabia. You just shoot in the desert and you have an army there, you know? And yeah. You just, <laughs> dancing on a train. That's what you do. Um, yeah. Yeah. No one's classic like that. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I always think about um, that scene in Lawrence of Arabia where the um, the guys coming over like from the horizon on the mm-hmm. horse, and you just yeah. sit there and watch watch him yeah. come, and mm-hmm. it's like he's literally just like riding a horse from a long way off. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, yeah, and in it. the film, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, great British filmmaker. Never great British oh, filmmaker yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I. I love that. And I, I love the, the other thing I loved from that first level was, um, which this kind of gets into like, uh, the idea of time that mm-hmm. Nolan deals with, which is, um, the van falling mm-hmm. that, you know, is going to be the, the, um, the kick, the kick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, you saved me. I was blanking. <laughs> uh, yeah, the kick. And so, you know, they shot. So one of the things that is, like kind of interesting and backwards is when you want things to look really show, slow, you actually shoot it faster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's like, that's like a, I guess a meta filmmaking thing of like playing with time. Like, mm-hmm. so he shoots this and like, I, I think it's like a thousand to 2000 frames per second, this van mm-hmm. falling sequence, you know, uh, and you know, that, shooting it faster makes it look slow. Like yeah, run, then when you put run that film back at normal speed, you have all these frames that you yep. end up running across the, across the lens. So it, mm-hmm. you, it extends the amount of time that you're watching that. Thing. Yeah. 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 Which is, which is a fun, um, I guess like it's not something you're thinking about watching it, but it's something that, that is a fun thing to like, think about. Mm-hmm. When you're thinking about like, how did he do that after you watch it? Yeah. It's like, Oh, it's like time is sped up. The, the literal like film is sped up, mm-hmm. but then like when you play it at normal speed, it's slowed down, which kind of plays into the different, the way time works in the different levels. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And yeah, it, yeah, really fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the, we can, you know, we can talk about too the that centrifuge that he made. Um, he he constructed the, all that hotel stuff in the same air hangar that he made the Gotham City block in for Batman Begins. Uh huh. Um, what which I think was um like the this like the slums area. Hmm. Um, but so he went back there and made this hotel and centrifuge and like huh. the hotel bar that like shifts on, a, yeah. uh-huh. on some pistons and uh, yeah, that, but the centrifuge is like the, the thing which they made yeah. two different, uh, they made two different ones. So the one is um, horizontal uh-huh. um, and then there's another one that's vertical. Okay. Um, and so the vertical one is where you start getting like the, zero gravity fighting uh-huh. sequence because they're hang they're just hanging from cables right yeah um and i love what i love about that is like 
how visceral it is. Oh yeah. Like, so you think about like the matrix, like mm-hmm. everything is so like clean and choreographed and like the way they move is like uh dancing mm-hmm. and this, this fight sequence and this zero gravity is like, it's like they're rough. clumsy, like yeah. it's rough. Uh-huh. Um, it's exactly how it would be if suddenly I found myself in that situation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, we'd yeah, be flying maybe, around like Trinity. I'd be, yeah, maybe a little better, like, but scrapping with Arthur. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, you I know, I think it, I just think that, that sequence, that, that part of the movie, um, is when the, the first time I watched this in the theater, um, I think we were about there where I found, I found myself like getting up out of my seat because I was just like so excited about what I was watching. And I, yeah. I remember, I remember thinking, I, I, I thought for a moment, I thought this is the greatest film I have ever seen in my life. Like I had that <laughs> thought. And then I think this is typical of like, no, what no one invites you to do. I, I thought that. And then I sat back down and I sat back and I thought, wait a minute, that can't be true. Why do I think <laughs> that? Like, why am I thinking yeah. that right now? And like, there's something about Nolan that like, like we were talking about, like he wants you to realize you're watching a movie mm-hmm. and he like, even that sequence with the, with the, with a roll and it, all that happens at the end of it, Yusuf turns and says, did you see that? You know, like to the people in the back seat, which is kind of a joke, but he's kind of sending it to us. Like, yeah. you know, uh-huh. can you believe you just saw what you just saw? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And like, I think that aspect of what nolan does made me sit back down in my seat in that moment and go like okay wait a minute why did i think that what is going on here and then i started to analyze and understand the way the film was constructed um Mm -hmm. which may have taken me out of that visceral moment of like almost standing up in my in the theater thinking i was seeing the greatest film i'd ever seen in my entire life Um, Mm -hmm. but it also made me really appreciate (laughs) like yeah the intricacy of how this thing was put together and kind of be more even another level of amazed by what I was watching. Um, yes. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's fun. Like um, uh, I had written down a, a quote from the, the special effects supervisor, uh, Chris Corbold, um, who's worked with him before. Um, and he kind of, he, his quote was that Nolan is a brilliant engineer artist. Yeah. Um, so like, I mean, you just think about the, like he didn't build this thing obviously, but he had the vision for it and how mm-hmm. it would work. Um, yeah. like having this rotating mm-hmm. hallway and the camera and on a could, gimbal and what he could um, film in it, you know, like what it yeah. would look like in the movie yeah. if they could build that thing and make it work. Yeah. Right. To, to be able to like envision that and even envision like, this is possibly how we can pull it off. Let's try mm-hmm. to build it and see if it'll, it'll work. Yeah. Um, it's just like, it's just so cool. And it is like yeah. thinking about that is like how he did it is like almost just as fun as watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, which I yeah. think, I think guys like Nolan would appreciate that, you know, yeah. people are just as excited about how he did it as much yeah. as like what, what came out on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think so too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Um, the the you know the third level so the 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 fun thing about the third level which i learned on that um that rod that deacon team deacons i think is the name of the podcast mm-hmm. yeah, with called. uh guy dias is they're 
you know, they're like, oh, let's build a fortress there. I think it was in Calgary, Mm -hmm. um, like a ski resort outside of Calgary, Canada. They did that. Um, And so they're, they're, they're talking, they're all there, the whole team, Nolan's there. um, They have the park rangers there, whatever. Um, And yeah, they're like, yeah, we're going to build it. We can build it here. And then, so Nolan and whoever gets on their helicopter and goes off and, you know, they, they start like, walk in and the, the the ranger told him something like, you know, you can't do, you can't build a foundation here uh, uh-huh. and you can't do this and you can't cut down these trees and you can't do that. Yeah. He's like, well, why didn't you tell me that while, while he was still here? <laughs> um, and so uh, what he actually ended up doing was um, he ended up digging out dirt and this is, he didn't tell like, I don't think that I think he said like that Nolan and the actors and stuff weren't aware when they were actually like acting and, and working on the set on this, uh-huh. you know, big set that they built. He put water in these holes and, uh, and like, you know, I guess put the posts for the foundation in uh-huh. this water and waited for it to freeze. Oh, and like literally just cement. used, yeah, yeah. He just used ice as the foundation. Huh. Um, and he he had like run it past like the um I guess the park people and they're like, Hey, mm-hmm. what if I just use ice so that it melts away, there's no damage done uh-huh. to the you know, to the earth or whatever. Huh. It's like such a cool <laughs> thing. That's which isn't <laughs> Yeah, which which if those actors would have known, maybe they would have been like, I'm not getting up on that thing. I know. I'm not uh, getting to stand on your ice fortress. Up in the yeah. mountains in Calgary, I don't think so. But I think we can go back yeah, and do this in CGI. <laughs> yeah, and, a, and a, it is r- literally an ice fortress. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but wow. yeah, I mean, uh, to like to build that set, like obviously the insides of it were um, like on so a stage. studio. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But um, but the outside of it to build that thing to come up with, you know. Obviously, Nolan isn't the one that did the, the ice, um, yeah. but you know his his team did, and uh, mm-hmm. you know his he his, his production designer was yeah yeah his production designer was so uh, bent on pleasing him as a director <laughs> that he <laughs> built it on ice. That's um, the job, you know. That's the yeah. Job. Yep. Then they he blew got, it up. He got his he got his uh, he got his Bond fortress. So. Yes, <laughs> and blew yep. it up literally. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I had a, I wrote down from, from a, a book that I was reading. Um, I think they used 40 sticks of dynamite and 80 barrels of gasoline nice. to blow up this set. <laughs> which, and I could have done it with half as much. <laughs> yeah. Which is, which is fun. But, um, you got, but like, but remember you got to stretch that budget. You have $160 million. So that's right. You instead gotta, of 20 sticks, we're going to get 40 sticks of dynamite. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, the the music is the other like just fantastic thing about this movie. Han, mm-hmm. this is his first time working solo with Hans Zimmer. Mm. So in um in the Thomas Batman Newman movies, also did part of the Batman movies. Yeah. Is, uh, what'd you say? Sorry, Thomas Newman is also did part of the score for Batman. Uh, it wasn't Thomas Newman. It was um James Newton Howard. I think James Newton Howard. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Um, he did, he worked with Zimmer on mm-hmm. Be- Batman, Batman Begins and Dark Knight. Yeah. So like um, they used, so, so but James Newton Howard like did all the themes and stuff that got carried through to the Dark Knight. Yeah. 
the the very yeah, like yeah, swelly like mm-hmm. um uh more emotionally sound more emotional yeah. sounding stuff was him yeah that um, makes sense yeah and and then this so this is really like nolan's first time working solo with hans zimmer mm-hmm. um and uh he's nolan is one of those guys that doesn't like to work with like tent music mm-hmm. and so he's he pulls zimmer in from the beginning and mm. um one of the things he talked about was when he started working with Zimmer towards the beginning of like getting this movie made. Um, he didn't like, he didn't really show him the film. Like he didn't show him anything. He would bring him in, show him a little bit of like the production, you know, he had the script. And so he mm-hmm. wanted Zimmer to make this off of like the feeling mm. of the movie. Um, mm. And then like, very obviously he's using the the edith piaf song right um non je ne regrette rien which is probably a bit terrible pronunciation (laughs) um but uh but yeah as part part of what zimmer does is he takes like those those some of those notes from that song and like slows them down Mm -hmm. and has like bass trombones and tubas play it and yeah. so that's where you get like the famous like bwongs from Bwong. um yeah <laughs> yeah it's just the that like slowed down playing with time mm-hmm. edith piaf song um which is so is, fun and do you know, interesting is the inception bwom button website still active do you know i don't know do you remember it be, do you remember the inception bomb website I don't think I was aware of that there was a, so, a website dedicated to it. There's a web page you could go to. It was called like bomb.com or something like that. Yeah. Click a button and hear the sound. That's what it was. <laughs> That's I didn't great. Know if it, I didn't know if it's still available. Uh, so I gotta, I'm looking yeah. this up right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you look it up and we'll um, – we'll ha- maybe I can uh, – in post I can add in a bomb uh, for us right there. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I love um, – I just love what what Zimmer did with this um film and uh Nolan talks about how he he played him uh the track time um that kind of plays over that last sequence um o- over the phone and Nolan mm-hmm. had him like played again um and uh the in in the Nolan variations, it says that like Nolan hung up the phone and he was with his editor, Lee Smith. And he turned to him and said, that was one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Uh, Just like geeking out over what Zimmer Uh had made. Um, And uh, yeah, I I mean, it's, it's, it is, I think it's rare for a score of a movie to become iconic alongside the movie mm-hmm. um it you know it happens it happens it happens rarely um mm-hmm. i think um with john I mean, williams you obviously a lot have like, like nobody else <laughs> yeah you have like john, you have john williams, williams stuff uh <laughs> and then really like <clears throat> not much else is mm-hmm. like that yeah um and the and score so, is it, it's a character, and the score is almost a character in the film. You know, it has like it a diegetic, it's a diegetic aspect to what's going on with the score. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's part of the part of the movie, which you know, adds yeah. to its importance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the like button this... still exists, by the way. Um, okay, so it's still it's still a website you can go. You can push a red button and hear the sound. So <laughs> great, 
Good to know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> maybe I'll, maybe I can put the link for that in the, in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. I even love, um, this is like a, one of the few Nolan songs where there's like a pop song, like in mm-hmm. the movie. Yeah. That's um, true. You know, the, uh, the prestige had the Tom York song in the credits. Mm-hmm. Um, but really I think this is the first time there's like an actual pop song used. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, and it's a, it's, what's interesting is like Marion, uh, Cotillard had just played Edith Piaf, Piaf. Yep. and, mm-hmm. uh, Levian Rose, if I'm yeah, not mistaken, Levian Rose. Yeah. um, which I've never seen. Um, but it's, it's pretty good. I mean, it's a biopic, okay. you know, it's fine. Yeah. She's yeah. great in it. She really is great in it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's just funny that like how that played out mm-hmm. <laughs> she, that he cast her. And this movie is, I mean, this song really is, um, if you like look up the translation of it really is a representation of Cobb's journey, mm-hmm. um, with, you know, his relationship with her and his guilt, yeah. like through the film, mm-hmm. like the, the translation is no, I regret nothing, but you know, you look at the lyrics and, um, it kind of talks about like being done with the past and being done with memories and mm-hmm. starting over with nothing, um, uh, letting go of those things to move on to the next, uh, yeah. which is like very representative. And Nolan had said, Nolan said he had this song in mind for a long time. So hmm. um, I guess it's just something that stuck with him that kind of fit with the, the, I guess the, that thematic element. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it's, and it's just fun to have that as like, uh, an audio cue mm-hmm. of something that's happening along with the visual cues. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, this movie, uh, it released in 2010, you know, no one does his summer releases. Mm-hmm. Um, we've kind of talked about the, the opposing, you know, critic reviews of this. Um, yeah. Uh, one thing though, that I think was common with all the reviews is the, uh, the wonder by the positive ones. And I guess the admission by the negative ones that it's technically like masterful, you know, yeah. um, it's kind of undeniable that what the things he's doing visually are like, stunning and impressive and fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, you know, I, I think that's something that even if you don't, and I think Nolan himself said, like, even if you don't like the film, he wants you to, to see the effort put into it. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, I think does come across. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, it, it opened number one, I think it made 60 million its first weekend and went on to make over 800 million Hmm. uh, worldwide. Um, And yeah, just yet another Nolan (laughs) uh, surprising success story. I -hmm. I don't know if you could say it was surprising at this point. Yeah. Um, I expect it to do, do well at this point. Yeah. Yeah. But this was his first time like getting, you know, awards, a lot of awards recognition on the, the big scale too. It Mm -hmm. it had eight Academy nominations. Um, it won cinematography, sound mixing, sound editing, and visual 
um, effects. Mm-hmm. Um, none of, so it, it had a best picture and screenplay nomination, which those are the ones that Nolan would have, you know, been like receiving in his name. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, didn't win those. So I, I don't think Nolan, you know, to this point still doesn't have any, um, any Oscar wins like in his name. Mm-hmm. Um, no, he so makes the we'll, kind of movies we'll see that... if that changes. Yeah. Uh, this award season, but yeah, you can almost expect the Oppenheimer will have a best picture, best yeah. director kind of nom- nomination. And yeah. this is, this is post dark Knight, So they've already, they did that thing where they expanded the best picture field. Mm-hmm. Um, they did. Yeah. So that movies like, like this, like no one's built mm-hmm. to get nominated, even if they don't, right. they don't expand the director field though. So you still only get five there. Um, yeah. but really is the kind of movie that wins. He makes the kind of movies that win technical awards most of the time. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah um, the, uh, we haven't talked a ton about the cast. Um, what, uh, what are your, fa- who are your favorite like elements of this movie as far as like the cast goes? I like, I, so I like this era in DiCaprio's career. Um, mm-hmm. where he has a string of movies where he's playing like, like tortured, tortured yeah. men. Um, you can look at, um, like you can look at Shutter Island and The Departed mm-hmm. and this and, um, Aviator. So like all three of those with Scorsese, um, this one, yeah. like he, there's a type he's playing right here. Where it's like mm-hmm. a almost like a tortured genius or a tortured guy. I'm mean, genius in departed. Yeah. Gangs of New York too. Yeah, yeah. Another Scorsese. And so he, <laughs> um, I liked DiCaprio in that mode for a while. I also like that he got out mm-hmm. of that and started doing other stuff too. Um, but he works really well. I think I, uh, I'm a, I'm a, I am, I am in the bag for Marion Cotillard and anything she's in. So yeah, um, she does a great job here playing that that femme fatale. Um, mm-hmm. like literally fatal for some people in this movie, uh, kind of, yeah. uh, kind of role. She's super good. Um, yeah. And then the rest of everybody else, like I was thinking about this, watching it again to talk about it. Um, they're all really fun. All the other mm-hmm. characters are really fun and they're all of course playing types, um, yeah. and doing it really well that I could see other actors in those roles and it, and it'd be fine. Um, but they do a really yeah. good job for what they're doing. Um, yeah, Tom Hardy sure. and I love the relationship between uh, between Arthur and oh, what's Tom Hardy's character's name? Uh, Eames. Eames, of course, Eames, designer. Yeah. Of course, it is. Um, <laughs> the I love the relationship. Their relationship is really fun. Um, and yeah. uh, they're fun together. It's it's fun to see Tom Hardy having fun. Um, yeah, he ends up in a lot of roles where he doesn't really have a lot of fun. It looks like he's having a lot of fun. So it's mm-hmm. kind of fun for him to be kind of a smart alecky kind of guy in this, playing the actor or whatever. Um, yeah. I, it, what yeah. about you? Do, you? do you enjoy the cast? And I think it's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say where uh, Tom Hardy in a role where you can actually like see his face is nice yeah. too. I know. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, see his face. Yeah. He cracks I, jokes. It's fun to see him cracking jokes. Um, yeah. Like I love that line about dream a little bigger. That's just like, uh-huh. it's so fun. You know, I dream a little bigger, <laughs> darling. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which uh you know what the that's where like the rules of the movie are kind of like 
well, how do exactly the rules of these dreams work? Because <laughs> you, you know, what's the why do you have to have an architect if like everyone can create? In I know the, in the movie, yeah. But it, you know, it's one of those yeah, things whatever. where you're just like, ah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, you need an architect because no one wanted to be an architect, and he worked mm-hmm. as an architect. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. and you need someone to design the levels, and they they memorize them. They do memorize them when you yeah. go into their dream. They memorize what she's designed. Um, yeah. So so maybe she's like hidden this. Maybe she hid this grenade launcher right there Maybe for so. him. Maybe um, so. And he knew it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think Tom Hardy's really fun. Um, I think uh, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is, um, he's interesting in this because he's playing this very like exaggerated, like uh, kind of suave. I don't know exactly what he's going for, but, um, but I like how, um, he can't so like i love the way that he i even like the way he interacts with dicaprio because Uh it's it i think it represents like the producer director like relationship he's a producer producers are like we can't do that impossible and yeah and the cop is like no yeah we can do it i've done it before (laughs) yeah producers Uh, i love producers are like producers there's a reason that producers accept best picture wins, right? Yeah. Because producers are responsible for making sure everybody does their job and yeah. all the pieces, they do all the work so that, so that you can get to that moment where the director and the actors can work on set. Mm-hmm. And so producers are like constantly exasperated, talking to everybody, getting everything lined up, everything scheduled, everything just right. So that the situation is there for that moment yeah <laughs> when the director and the actor yeah. can work together <laughs> yeah maybe that parallels yeah. too with with that second level dream like the mm-hmm. the amount of detail that he has to figure out exactly to get them to experience the kick, the uh, kick. is you way more than it's either exactly of the other want. ones that's right yeah. the only person you want in a situation is your producer because nobody yeah. else is going to yeah. know figure out how to pull all the things around to yeah. make that work oh yeah you have yusuf he's just driving a van off a bridge um everyone else is just falling off of an exploding building uh, and he's having to like intricately like tie everyone together and uh, float them down the elevator shaft cables and... yeah <laughs> yeah he's the real hero producers are the real heroes i think yeah. no one knows it <laughs> yeah maybe so uh but uh but yeah you know i think so dicaprio is is the one so i i will say uh cotillard i think i think she is pulling off maybe the best performance in the movie mm-hmm. just um with the you know she doesn't have like a ton of screen time yeah um, she's kind of like a pop-in character um but the the range of emotion and the even the range of like um, the range from like kind of pitiful and endearing to like even like scary mm-hmm. that she's pulling off um, yeah. is really impressive. Um, mm-hmm. She's just doing, she's doing so much, and it's mm-hmm. not like one of those acting jobs where like you f- you feel like wow this actor's doing too much. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like and, very appropriate and fit fitting for the role. Yeah, and and I was thinking about realizing that she is playing a projection of Cobb's subconscious. Yeah. So mm-hmm. there are only a couple of shots in that movie where she's playing the actual mall. And it's right. in, it's in his memory when he's explaining when they're in the, when they're in the, 
the substrata, whatever it's called. Yeah. And he explained to Ariadne uh, what they did when they were there together. There's a couple of shots where it's actually mm-hmm. Mullen. But the rest of the time, she's a projection of his subconscious. Right. So he can be all like analytical and business oriented and whatever, but she's the part of him that he won't listen to, which is this emotional, the guilt, the pity, the, all this stuff that that. is actually driving him um, that he like tries to push away so he can just get his job done, you know, but all that emotion always comes up. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's what's impressive too, is like she, she first comes shows up the first few times she shows up, she's this like menacing figure mm-hmm. um, that like, she, you don't exactly know why she's there. You don't know what she's going to do. Um, mm-hmm. And um, she kind of shows up and like messes everything up mm-hmm. um, the first few times, but then like to take that and then like progressively, like she, she has to like, portray this progression of your your the way you look at her mm-hmm. as a projection as like a victim she's mm-hmm. she as the, like this projection of him is sort of a victim of his um grief and of mm-hmm. his uh like not willing his unwillingness to like to face the reality of the situation mm-hmm. um and it, you know, it does, I think it does culminate very well with, you know, her performance there. Yeah. You know, and that, that kind of like climactic moment. Um, mm-hmm. DiCaprio is, I struggle with like, if I'm all, all on board with DiCaprio in, in this particular movie, um, I think he, I think he's an amazing actor and I think he's really good in this. But, uh, and there's moments where like, he's really hitting it and like nailing it. But then there's other moments where I'm like, I don't know, like, I think he's a little too something. I I can't Mm. put my finger on it. So like the, the, one of the things that stands out, uh, in my mind right now is like when he wakes up on the airplane, um, Mm -hmm. and, um, he's like, got this, like. It's just like weird, the weird, bewildered look on his face that like, mm. is like, like, what do you, what exactly are you doing? Yeah. Um, and it's kind of like this, oh, like, uh, <laughs> and I'm like, it, surely like you've put things together by now. You don't have to keep the bewildered look on your face. Like it mm-hmm. only takes a, a fraction of a moment to like piece together what, what just happened in your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, I think it's. I think that's what it is. Maybe is there's moments where he holds an emotion for a little bit too long. Hmm. Um, uh, but it's probably, I'm probably just like overthinking and nitpicking. <laughs> um, because like at the end of the day, like it doesn't really like detract a whole lot from, mm-hmm. from the film. Um, yeah. well, I think he like, I think it's, on the one, it's kind of a, on the one hand, it's kind of a hard role because yeah. because he has because he has uh, repressed all the emotional side of himself. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't really get to exp- like DiCaprio doesn't get to express Cobb's emotions. Yeah, um, only in a few little moments does he get to do that. Mm-hmm. The rest of the time, he has to play it cold. Um, yeah. and there are probably moments when I, I think of like. 
um, when they're when they first get when they're in the first level of the dream, and Saito gets shot, and he's going to put him out of his misery, and he has to stop him real fast from from shooting Saito because mm-hmm. there's the reveal that you can't die now, which is we're not going to talk about that because it annoys me a little bit um, <laughs> that they changed the rules on us after they've already told us the rules, but they need to have real stakes. I get it, whatever. Um, but anyway, but he has to stop. Uh, stop Eames from shooting Saito yeah. to wake him up because he won't. And uh, he reacts a bit big right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like one of the only times he has a lot of emotion in the in the course of the actual like narrative of the of the plot narrative of what's yeah. going on. Um, and so it was a little bit where his like his iciness kind of cracks a little bit. Um, yeah. But the rest of the time, like he's he's so he has to be so removed because he has repressed everything. Yeah, um, it can be hard to play oh. that. And may, maybe that DiCaprio, is because DiCaprio can sometimes be really big. Yeah, um, you know. Mm-hmm. And this is a film where he's not really allowed to be big most yeah. of the time. Yeah, yeah. And I think so. I think like that bigness, like, can be re- like can pull you away from what you're supposed to be figuring out with with a character that he's playing mm-hmm. but then like there's movies where it just like fits so yeah. well like yeah. i mean wolf of wall street is one where like yeah it's it's huge outsized performance but it's exactly mm-hmm. what it needs to be right or like Django unchained like his yeah. role in that is just mm-hmm. like so outlandish and huge and yeah um he plays the those so well character. yeah yeah well you know it's like no one no one movies no one's films don't really for the most part they're not they're not really canvases for an actor to be big and be yeah. super emotional. I mean, the one exception um, is interstellar uh, and mm-hmm. Matthew McConaughey's character in interstellar has scenes where he gets to have big emotions. And yes. it's like, it's hard. Like if you don't know that movie exists and you only know the rest of Nolan's filmography, it would be a little bit hard to imagine McConaughey in a Nolan movie because McConaughey yeah. is a very effusive actor. Um, always, but it works in Interstellar because that's a character who has to feel and express big emotions, um, mm-hmm. and it has to feel and express them early in the film. You know, yeah, um, not just in the final moment when of you know uh, resolution. So yeah, yeah. Um, most of his most of Nolan's characters are kind of reserved. Um, yeah, yeah, and it analytical. it's part it's partly because um, it's partly because of just the way Nolan writes. He's very yeah. interested in the narrative structure and the mm-hmm. logic and the, yeah. the, the ideas being portrayed. Mm-hmm. Um, like even so like uh, in Memento, he, he kind of like talks, he's talked about in interviews like, Oh yeah. The, the emotional connection you have with, um, with Guy Pierce's character there um, is all, Leonard. is all yeah. Pierce. Yeah. He was like, he was like, I was not like thinking about you emotionally connecting with that character when I wrote it. But mm-hmm. when Pierce came on, like he really brought that out in the, out of the script. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's a similar thing. Yeah. It's a, it is a similar thing here with, with Leo. He actually spent like months uh, reworking on the script with Leo um, mm. very closely. Like they were going through it and Leo was like very adamant on, yeah. we have to like make sure we nail the emotional aspect mm-hmm. of this um yeah. and you know nolan kind of has readily admitted like yeah i'm not that great at writing that 
Yeah. Um, and he relies on these actors that are so good at tapping into that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. He's to a, like really get, bring that out. He's a, he's an analytical filmmaker. Um, yeah. But he's also like, there are big emotions in his movies, you know, mm-hmm. and like a lot of them do end up hinging on something like, love you know like yeah. in the like capital l largest mm-hmm. possible sense love um which is it's funny to call someone an analytical filmmaker when they make movies about how love transcends time you know mm-hmm. like that's like rom-com stuff <laughs> yeah. um you know yeah. but like or or you know david lean epic stuff did mention david lean again you know like that's that's big time emotion stuff but it it almost i think feels to me like a lot of times he like no one is so analytical that like when he wants to add emotion in, he has to reach for that big emotional kind of thing because that's an easier thing to reach for rather than nuanced, yeah. <laughs> like subtle emotions. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't get subtle emotions. You get like love transcends time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah. But so, and I mean, in this movie, I think there are, there are sections where like, I think Leo is really like pulling off and bringing the emotion. That's like, I guess like, suppressed deep within the script he's like mm-hmm. bringing it out um like the two times that I, they're actually like on different like ends of the spectrum of like emotional acting um mm-hmm. one being you know when mal does um commit suicide in his yeah. his memory like um mm-hmm. you That's know his reaction moment. in that yeah. moment is very like emotionally affecting and oh yeah i mean it's hard for it not to be but you you could easily an actor could mess that up by mm-hmm. oh, yeah. overdoing it or underdoing it. And I think he really nails it. And um, mm-hmm. it's like, a, the... it's kind of, to me, it reminds me of like, it makes me think of like a man who is not emotional, but then something like that happens. Mm-hmm. And like, he's so unused to expressing his emotions, you know, like, but like you have to express something in that moment. Yeah. It comes out in a big messy way, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause he's been For sure. He's naturally so held back. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the, the other end of the spectrum at like the, the climax, um, it's a very like subtle mm-hmm. expression of love and, yeah. um, the, the, the type of love that knows that you have to let go. Yeah. Um, of, of, of the past, mm-hmm. um, you know, let go of a memory, let go of, you know, that projection. Um, and it's a very, it's a very subtle performance. His, his interaction, you know, Cobb with, with Ma there of like, um, you know, talking about the life that they did have together. Mm -hmm. Um, I think he does that very well, which is, which is, which is saying a lot for Leo because he is known for his big performances. And that is a very like subtle expression of Mm -hmm. of emotion that he pulls off very well. So, yeah. Um, yeah, Hmm. which we, you know, we can get into a little bit of, um, of that, uh, the emotional threads do like, do the emotional threads in this movie work? Cause that is one of Nolan's big critiques is his movies lack emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I honestly do think it's a fair critique. Um, you know, he is like, we've been talking about, he is a very like calculated analytical filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, 
you know, I think in this movie, so like when, um, when I was, I did, I'm doing these movies a little out of, I'm doing these recordings a little out of order, um, in Nolan esque fashion, um, I guess. <laughs> um, and so, uh, the last one I recorded was, um, the prestige. Mm-hmm. Um, and in your, your section on the prestige and transcending time, you, you kind of brought out, I loved, um, the way you kind of thought about Nolan as, um, that analytical intellectual filmmaker and how he is, it's almost like it's a reaction, um, maybe a bit of an overcorrection of our society that is very interested in the emotional, but not the intellectual, mm-hmm. um, and how we really need to bring both of them together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that thought process applies in this movie too. Yeah. Um, bringing the, you know, the head and the heart, um, mm-hmm. together. Um, I think, it, but yeah, I, I don't know. Does what works emotionally for you in this movie or, or not? Um, yeah, I, you know, I, um, I was thinking about this again, watching it this time. And like I said, mm-hmm. I've been on a journey with this film as I've watched it many times over the years and, Gone yeah. from thinking it's the greatest movie I've ever seen for a moment, you know, <laughs> to still being like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And then having a stretch where I was like, could really see the clockwork of it. Um, and wasn't sure how I felt about the clockwork, like that I could see it so clearly. Um, if yeah. I like lessened the, the effectiveness of the film or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then kind of coming through that and um, really appreciating how like, almost like you appreciated a, a timepiece, like, oh my gosh, someone made that, you know, like, yeah. like that someone, someone hand tooled those gears and put yeah. them all together and it works flawlessly. Like what, what an amazing construction that is. And like being able to appreciate the artistry in something that is so perfectly engineered mm-hmm. um, is, uh, I think, uh, um, it's valid. And I, I think, I think the emotional, the main emotional thing that's going on there is is a worthwhile thing. Uh, it's a good thing, you know. So it does it does ultimately work for me. And I think it at this point in my relationship with Inception, um, which will continue, you know, as well yeah. be in after <laughs> I watch it a few more times in the next ten years, you know. Um, right now, I um, it it works for me on that level of as this whole thing is a an allegory for movies and how movies work and the relationship between the artists and the film that they create and the people they make it with and the audience they make it for and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. It really works for me on that level a lot. Um, I like the, like that, that idea that like he has to, he's the artist or Nolan Cobb is dealing with stuff by making this, <laughs> this heist uh, by going through yeah. these dream levels as by making this film that even maybe he's not entirely aware that he's has to deal with this stuff. Um, yes. And, but the process of making the thing helps him deal with something he's not entirely aware he needs to deal with. Mm-hmm. And for the audience, I think that translates when it's done genuinely as it is here, I think um, that translates to something like what happens for Fisher. Um, like Fisher, yeah. the audience goes on this journey and he has true catharsis. And like a true moment of being able to like 
forgive his father, move on. There's some kind of almost reconciliation healing in that relationship, um, yeah. which, okay, it's based on a lie. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, that like yeah. his dad wanted him to break the, break the company up. That's not true, you know? Um, but I really like the reconciliation. You know, mm-hmm. I really like that Fisher is free from, right. you know, what his father did for him. They, you know, they had that conversation about he should, he should pay us for this. This is cheaper. This is better than therapy. You know, like he's yeah. <laughs> um, finding a way out of this. We're finding a way out of this for him. And that's a great thing. And I do think that movies can work that way for the audience. You know, yeah. like we don't always, the same way that Nolan doesn't know the things he needs to deal with while he's writing this thing. And so after the fact that he realized what he was going through, audience is the same way. Like we mm-hmm. don't always know the things that we need to deal with. And occasionally a movie can come along where it does that for us. It helps us cathartically or spiritually or devotionally or prayerfully, whatever you want to say, um, yeah. helps us like work through some things. And so right. like, in that sense, that emotional core of the film, those two, those like two side-by-side emotional things going on in the movie totally work for me because they mm-hmm. seem complementary. Um, yeah. And are both very powerfully portrayed as well. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I um I was reading in uh the Nolan variations before we um before just earlier this evening and um one of the little sections ends uh with this it says um a man loses his wife yet spends a lifetime with her a son loses his father but is also reconciled with him. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was such a succinct way to yeah. like encapsulate those two emotional like resolutions mm-hmm. um that you get um uh and it's like it is it's kind of both are kind of paradoxical yeah. too which is a kind of a i guess a running uh idea through the movie is mm-hmm. um these paradoxes Paradox. but oftentimes i think that's how kind of uh, emotions and the human experience with emotions kind of work they're mm-hmm. they're not necessarily explainable yeah um uh, we have to we have to learn, and this is a common thread throughout Nolan's films too. Like, um, you know, his 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 films are all about epistemology. Like, how do we yeah. know what we know, and what does what we know or don't know? How does that affect who we are, what we do, mm-hmm. or what our hope is for the future, or not? Like, this is all what he's dealing with, but it's all rooted in that, like, what we know and don't know. And yeah. there is an element of like he he seems to get that you can't know. You know, like there may be two things that are true and are also contradict one another. And it's like living in that that paradox, that tension. We have to learn to live in that if we're going to be able to forgive people that we've lost and we can't actually talk to them anymore. You know, Um, we are make peace that way uh, with ourselves and with each other in the past. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I, I so we didn't talk really about Killian Murphy, but man, he in the little little so screen good. time he gets like not i mean knocks it out of the park i mean he, does, he and he, he has, sells that that moment in the uh, with the pinwheel like uh-huh i mean that was i think that in the whole movie strangely for some reason is the the part that like makes me like mm-hmm. um like this isn't a movie that makes me like well up with tears kind of yeah. like interstellar does Mm-hmm. But that's the part that gets closest for me, um, yeah. I think, which is There's strange nothing... because it's 
you're like you're not spending any time with this guy yeah and yet like when when you get to this moment like it's emotional and it works and you make the connection to the picture and mm-hmm. um it's it is this moment this like meta filmmaking moment of um the payoff you can get as an as an audience member watching mm-hmm. a film um and it's i think also, it's so like his i mean his arc is so his that character's arc fisher's arc is so genuine you know mm-hmm. like and not gimmicky you know like yeah. for mm-hmm. a very gimmicky film uh gimmicky in the best possible way it's not gimmicky and like that yeah. moment when he pulls the pinwheel out like i think that works so well because you're not expecting that you know yeah. like you're expecting him to see the will and the be, will that be the, the emotion that's the thing we've been told that they have planted there for mm-hmm. him to like make this decision and instead he pulls the pinwheel out and so that's a moment where they're in his own subconscious you know like yeah. it's his own it's his own self helping himself reconcile to his relationship with his father yeah. you know like it, so it's very he genuine. found something it's, in the he found right. something in the in the farce of this world they've created mm-hmm. that they didn't even know to yep. put in there like that they mm-hmm. didn't even know to make explicit that's right um and that's something that we do as as viewers, viewers of films yeah. we find things in these movies mm-hmm. um that the filmmaker has no ideas in there yeah <laughs> um yep. and totally you know that's that way that's a beautiful thing um yeah and that's something that like um uh i, I like to think of movies as like mirrors mm-hmm and and i i think of it in two senses one is it's a mirror of the culture and society it comes out of mm-hmm. reflecting that but also movies reflect you back to yourself um yeah. and part of the reason it does that is because it brings you into an experience where your kind of typical emotional barriers that you put up in everyday life are kind of like forgotten about mm-hmm. and so like you can dig into things um, about you, uh, that wouldn't normally come out just in your everyday life because you've entered this kind of, you know, non-reality experience. And so you think like, I can let my guard down now. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but then the, the emotional or the ideas being explored in the movie can like pierce you in ways that, that don't happen. Um, mm-hmm. outside of that art, which is something yeah. beautiful about art in general, mm-hmm. um, that, that it does. And, um, you know, I, when I was first thinking about that moment, I was like, man, is this, is this like that idea of like, do the ends justify the means? Is this about mm-hmm. like a lie that ends up working like for good? But then I was started thinking about it in this, these terms. And I was like, no, that's not the point at all. The point yeah. is what a film can do for an audience right. member. Like yeah. you're watching what you're watching is essentially a lie. It's, a lie. it's yeah, it's all, yeah. it's just a made up story, yeah. but the, that tells the truth. <laughs> yeah. But the truth yeah. emotionally that you can get out of it is real. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. so like, even if, even if his father, that's not what his father wanted for him, the truth about himself um, that he needed to get out of that was was found, um, mm-hmm. which I think is beautiful. Yeah, um, it's, the, it's the truth that his father should have wanted for him. 
You know, right. Like, right. It, like it allows his father to be a better father than he was. Um, and there's, right. there's great, there's grace in that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like even if it can't be real, we can, you know, have it in the fantasy. Um, yeah. And it's, yeah. And sometimes true truth is in, in a situation like that truth, thinking about it less in a, uh, like what is the fact mm-hmm. um, of the matter and thinking about truth more like with a capital T yeah. um, more like the um, a, a logos truth or like mm-hmm. um, what thinking about it more in what should be um, yeah. the, the real truth is not like the fact of the matter, but what should the world as it should have been. Yeah. Um, or you could say him. the world as it will be. You know, as when it will all be, things yeah. are made right, and right, um, we reach that point where all things are reconciled. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. And and so, uh, yeah, that that moment just works so well for me. Um, and I, I think Cobb Cobb's emotional arc is really good. Um, I, I think it's the the moment where you see their hands, like their mm-hmm. old hands, like old holding. Hands. Um, is, um, is a beautiful visual, Mm -hmm. um, and just, you know, that idea of, I don't know it, what it made me think of is like the, he didn't actually have a lifetime with her in reality, Mm -hmm. but the way that he knew her, um, and was connected with her can feel like a lifetime. Yeah. Um, like they had a lifetime together, like in the dream world. Right. I guess you could say in this movie, but connecting it back to like to us, um, right. in, in real life that don't have limbo that we can go to, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, even, even small moments are with someone where like love is shared is like a lifetime of moments. Yeah. And I think that goes back to Nolan thinking about like, all the missed mm-hmm. lifetime of moments that he had missed with his family while he was yeah. making, making on the sets, you know, making mm-hmm. these movies. Um, and so I, I think that aspect of Cobb's arc um, is probably the most like both, I guess both interesting, like with the head, with my mm-hmm. head thinking about it and emotionally impactful at the same yeah. time. Mm-hmm. Um which I think is important and something that like maybe isn't appreciated enough about what Nolan's doing mm-hmm. um, in, in his films. Yeah, I agree. That's good. Yeah. Um, something we haven't talked about, I guess as we're starting to like maybe get closer to wrapping up our, our talk on this is, um, is like the, the internet, questions of like you know what does the totem fall at the end or not is he in reality or dream has he been dreaming the whole time does the top fall over right yeah yeah no (laughs) and um and you know like obviously like the the top uh is you kind of find out that's not even like his totem right Um, hers yeah. which which I think is a really cool visual another example of a visual cue mm-hmm. um that's shown alongside the exposition because he's yeah. talking about like how he how he planted that idea in her mind 
mm-hmm. and you get the visual of the the spinning top in yeah. in her little dollhouse safe. Yeah. Um, yeah. It just I think that's really cool, but mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't I don't know. Um, I think the, I think it's the more worth I see this movie. The less that question is interesting to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, it's it's worth. I, I'll always think when this conversation comes up about Inception, which it yeah. always does, because it's it presents you with it right when it's over. Yeah, um, no one wants talk, you to talk about it. He, does. he wouldn't yeah. have ended the film that way. <laughs> exactly. Um, I think. I think. Um, I always think it's worth remembering that it doesn't show you. You know, yeah. it does not give, it doesn't give you an answer. Um, mm-hmm. And we can argue and go frame by frame. I've gone frame by frame to the ending to see how much that top's wobbling or not and what that means, uh-huh. you know, all that kind of stuff and done that. Um, but I think, I think what it really, for me anyway, it, it, it gets back to that. What do you want to believe? You know, like, yeah. what do you, what do you want to think? Do you want to think this is all just a dream? Do you want to think this is that he, he really did get back to his kids because that says mm-hmm. as much about you as anything else <laughs> about yeah. you and what you hope for. And like, right. What do you think the movie hopes for? I think the movie wants him to get home, you know? Yeah. Um, and the movie mm-hmm. really wants him to get home. And yeah, it, I don't think it's a tragedy. Yeah. Um, no, that's like, like a tragedy. I, I think it's Cobb, cynical at all. Yeah. You know, it doesn't, it feels, it feels like he's Cobb has like, it would feel like disingenuous for it to end with him still in dream, in a dream. dream space, like not in, in reality, not really with his kids. Yeah. Um, but like, but I do think there is something to what you're saying of like, it ends without the answer because like, that's part of what he's doing with this movie is that's Nolan, right? Like the audience, yeah. you're the audience member. You've got to find uh-huh. What is your pinwheel in this movie? I guess uh-huh. is, the, yeah. is the question. For, Do you want for, it to fall or not? Yeah, for a filmmaker what? who is so concerned with how we ascertain reality, you know, like mm-hmm. he he always always comes back to you can't know. Yeah, you know, like you can't know. So what are you going to mm-hmm. do about it? How are you yeah. going to live in the tension of not knowing? And Inception yeah. gives you that perfectly. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he, he, he even says that him and Lee Smith spent like hours and hours going through frame by frame to find the exact frame they wanted to cut on. Uh-huh. Um, oh, it's so hard. <laughs> which is, yeah. He said yeah. there was a, there was one version where it, it did the little wobble it did um, and kept going and then did another one. Uh-huh. Um but they, you know, they landed on just the one wobble, just I think. The one wobble. And, yeah. And, but yeah, can, I mean, can you imagine two guys sitting there, like going frame by frame <laughs> of a top spinning, trying to say, well, do we cut here or here? I can, I can imagine it because that's, that's filmmaking, right? That's like, yep. that's yep. like that, that famous story about speaking of Lawrence of Arabia, that the match cut, the, the literal match cut in Lawrence of Arabia. They, uh, you know, they were, they were working on oh, that yeah. mm-hmm. and, uh, it wasn't supposed to be a hard cut. It was supposed to be a dissolve, um, but they hadn't done it yet. And it was, so it was just a cut. And they were watching the dailies. It was a hard cut. And David Lean saw it. And he said, that's almost perfect. It's almost perfect. You know? Yeah. And then work to find exactly the right moment. Um, yeah. In that puff of air to, to cut.
cut like that. So of course they yeah. split frame by frame forever. That's what a filmmaker does. <laughs> mm-hmm. Is break down time into these little moments and find yourself. Yeah. Yeah, and that's I mean, that's what Nolan's background goes back to is um you know, when he was at University of London, he uh the the story is that he found an old Steambeck editing machine in mm. the basement of the theater there on, on uh-huh. campus and just like went to work, you know, figuring out how to edit. So like uh. he he's very interested in that that, that editing process because that's yeah. that's where it's he filmmaking. started like learning about yeah. filmmaking was yeah. on an editing machine, you know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it's always a fun question to ask. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I think, I think Nolan is quoted saying like the point isn't whether or not the top falls, but that he's not looking at it anymore. That's right. That's um, the most, which the I think there's, he walks on past. Yeah. 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 Um, but, um, I think there's a version, I think there is a version of the movie where, if where the camera goes with Cobb mm-hmm. um, so that you're no longer looking at the totem either, but yeah. that's not the version we have. We have, yeah. we have and this not, version. So and that's it not is, the Nolan I who think wants it you is, to know you're watching a movie either. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There, there's <laughs> that. And I think that's, that's part of the point too, is like, I think, and I think he probably says that knowing that like uh-huh. people are going to hate that answer because yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. If you wanted that to be the answer, then why didn't you just follow Cobb uh-huh. <laughs> out to his kids? Like yeah. that's not the point either. The point is yeah. that you left the camera on the top <laughs> to, to mess with us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You have to, it's, it's the same oh, yeah. Nolan that has used to turn around and say, did you just see that? You know, like yeah. it's, that same Nolan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There are other people too that have like went back and had the, the wedding ring totem theory. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure you've heard I've that. I've read that. Um, yeah. I've read that before. Yeah. Um, which actually yeah. is fairly convincing. Like if mm-hmm. you, if you kind of pay attention to when he had, when he, ha- has when he has on. his wedding ring on, it's always in a dream. Yeah. And then um, yeah. I think at like customs, you can clearly mm-hmm. see he doesn't have the ring on. Mm-hmm. So it's it's supposed to be an indicator of reality. Reality. And I can't yeah. remember if you see it in that last sequence or not. You can't see his um, hand. You can't see his wedding ring hand uh, yeah. during that last sequence. But it's also worth mentioning that there are uh, there are four children who play the children, and they're two years apart in age. Um, and so there is the from the casting of the children, it's also suggested that time has passed and he's going home, not to the kids okay. he left behind, but to the kids that are two years older. Um, gotcha. I didn't so, even realize. I didn't even notice yeah. that. So yeah. that's there too. But yeah. But that's just us trying to impose some certainty yeah, on something. It is not supposed to be certain. So just it is. just let it be uncertain. Live in the liminal space. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, like, how did we even get there in the house? Like, that's right. We, we don't, don't even know. remember. Just like a dream. Yeah, I know. Only <laughs> we were there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, you. So uh, if, if you get transcending time. You can read about all of Nolan's movies except Inception. Except this one, uh-huh. <laughs> because uh, you have um, uh, the the Inception. excerpt for that in another book. That's um, right. Inception is in in Come and See. Um, yeah, a, a Christian guide to the 250 greatest films of all time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I decided that was uh, so a little bit about that project. I uh, I 
basically I, I wanted to know um, if I watched through film history, would I see evidence of God at work uh, mm. in how the art form develops over time? Um, and so uh, one thing I did, uh, one thing I, as part of that process, I took a bunch of lists of the greatest films of all time and I cross-referenced them uh, and got a list of the consensus canon of the, mo- the greatest, most influential films that have been made. Um, yeah. Now that meant that most of those movies in that list were not movies I chose. Um, pretty much everything up until about eh, 1999, 2001, somewhere in there, were pretty well established. People say these are the movies that matter the most. But everything past that point, like the last 20 years or so, I had a little mm-hmm. more leeway um, in yeah. what I included in the book. Um, and then, there, of course, there are lists of like the best films of the last 20 years, and I consulted all these lists or whatever. But uh, mm-hmm. I did have a little bit of my own choice in there. And I had to include Christopher Nolan because of all the things we've been talking about. How right, there aren't yeah. many filmmakers working at his level who've had his kind of success and all this kind of stuff for the last last 20 years or so. And uh, I had to decide which movie to include of his. Um, and I decided to include Inception. Um, so so Inception is in Come and See um, as, uh, as kind of what I th- still think of as like the 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 most christopher nolan movie of all his movies mm-hmm. uh, the one yeah. that really gets all the things he cares about to the nth degree um so yeah i include it yeah. for that reason yeah yeah uh and uh since i didn't get to read the inception because i don't have the no. book yet i need to get the yeah. book um uh do you i was gonna leave it up to you on if you wanted to share a final thought that maybe like if you want to like share something that from that mm-hmm. excerpt or maybe yeah. just like hint at something I can do that. Um, I, as our I'll, final thought for this this film sure uh, i can do that so um well you know about the little prayer things that i write at the end of right uh, mm-hmm. things yeah so that had that's all throughout come and see too come these little the like the transcending time book um the del toro book the miyazaki book they're kind of structured similar to how come and see is that come and see is 250 movies and it's not just one filmmaker. Um, right. So it's like a 400 or so word kind of written interaction with the film and then a prayer, like a, a prayer of response. And yeah. um, the prayer is supposed to be like a model prayer. And might not be necessarily what you would pray like after you watch the movie, you know, but mm-hmm. it's kind of like my devotional response and kind right. of an, like a model or whatever kind of idea. So there's one of those. So I could, I could read that um if, if if you would that be okay yeah let's do let's do that yeah that would okay. be great cool so I'll, I'll read that prayer um here from the entry on inception um here we go movies are fun lord and movies are also an opportunity to hear from you and deal with the complicated things bothering our spirits may we be sensitive to your voice willing to accept the difficult aspects of our lives especially when we can't understand them And may we be quick to forgive ourselves and others when we cannot respond graciously to our world. Help us to never forget that the people around us are carrying losses and longings they can hardly express. May we be gracious to each other always. Amen. Yeah. Amen. That's, yeah, that's beautiful. And I think that is a a fitting way to, to end our, our talk on this movie that is so much dealing with the things that are, deep within us that we're dealing with. Um, yeah. And how movies and, help and, us with that. <laughs> yeah. And movies helping us find those things and face them as Cobb does, but also like 
helping us uh, build empathy with experience that we may not know personally, um, yeah. but can build empathy with and learn to have grace for others uh, through. So, yeah, yeah. I love that. That's good. good. Um, um, I, so um, I was, you know, I, I, I knew that Inception was in the book. That's one of the reasons I, when you asked me if I wanted to come on, I was like, I don't want to talk about Inception because yeah. it's also not in the book. Uh, not in time, um, yeah. and it is in come and see. But um, so I, I've done something though. Um, I can, I might as well t- tell you about this now. So, um, <clears throat> so the thing, so I, so come and see is a book um, yeah. that you can buy. Um, it's also an email subscription. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also deliverable as an email subscription. So uh, I built uh, a subscription that get, that gives you uh, one devotion from the series a week on Sunday mornings. Mm-hmm. Um, and it starts at the beginning of film history and works through time. So, so you don't get into inception for a long time. It's yeah. like number 229 in the book. So, you know, you got to get like five years into this thing before you get to inception. Yeah. Um, but knowing that we were going to be talking about it. Uh, and so I, I built, I built, I went in and built a version of the email subscription where, um, if people, uh, who are listening to this, go and subscribe. It'll send them Inception first, and then it'll flip back around and start at the beginning and work your way through. So if okay. people are really yeah. interested in reading the Inception one, and I'll send it to you because you're already signed up, Eli. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm wanna... already signed up to that email service. Yeah, so, so you can't re-sign up, so I'll make sure you can yeah. read the Inception one. Um, but yeah, so they sign up uh, to this to this thing. And, um, they'll start with, in, they'll get Inception immediately, and then beginning on Sunday mornings, they'll get from the beginning of time working their way through. So, yeah. Great. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And I'll, I'll make sure that's in the, uh, the show notes. Yeah. So they, and I can they... tell people too. It's, uh, it'll be at Elijah Davidson.com slash establishing shot. Um, okay. You can just go there and you'll find the sign up form for it. So great. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that'll be in the show notes. So uh, yeah, that uh, make sure you do that. I've been really enjoying these. So I, I, I don't have the book and um, maybe, uh, it's so it's it works two ways. I don't have the book partly because I was like, well, I'm going to sign up for the emails and, yeah. and see how I like this thing. Yeah. Um, but also, like, I'm enjoying it so much that now I'm like, okay, I've got to get the book at some point. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the marketing is working there um, for sure. Well, it, it's funny. I, I wanted it to be a book because I, so I, I got the most excited about doing the email subscription. Uh, and I still yeah. love that more, actually, because I think it's a great way to do this. Because like it is, because you, then you have time to watch the films if you haven't right. seen it before, because mm-hmm. you have a whole week mm-hmm. um, before the next one comes around. If you have the book, it's kind of overwhelming. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's yeah, like a more... and I actually have done that. I've there's been a few that um, I've caught up with because I'm like I I read the the excerpt for that week and I was. Uh, like one of them was uh, Metropolis. I, I, hadn't, yeah. I hadn't caught up with Metropolis and man, I loved it. Oh, I'm um, so glad that makes yeah. me so happy to hear. Yeah. Yeah. I like it with all these things. I want people to watch movies because movies are great. Mm. So um, that's, that's great to hear. Um, and I, I tried to write them. Uh, there's only a couple of cases in the book where it spoils. They spoil anything. Um, yeah. Uh, they're, they're really not spoilers. So you can read them before. They aren't. Yeah. Um, I do think if you, read them again after you watch, they mean a little more, but um, yeah. Yeah. But I, think yeah they work I usually do both. So if there's one that I, there's been a few that I haven't seen. So like Metropolis, uh, Battleship Potemkin was one that I mm. watched and I did. I, I read, I read the excerpt, then I watched it and then I would go back and read. I mean, they take like 
um, a few they're minutes. Four hundred words. Yeah, they're yeah. short. They're very short. Um, yeah. So um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I I highly recommend signing up for that, um, and it'll make you want to uh, buy the book too. So yeah. buy the book if you um, want to. I I really like the email subscription better. I I, yeah. I ended up like wanting it to be a book just because I wanted it to be on my shelf so that when my kids are older, they can find it and see what I think yeah. about all these movies. <laughs> but the book's and that, good too. That is, that is uh, a reason I want the book is because sometimes like I'm watching films uh, and I'm like, I wonder, like there's been a few that I'm like, I wonder if um, that's in come and see, but like yeah. I don't have the book, so I can't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm right now doing um, a, a small group at my church uh, called faith and film oh, cool. um, a con- concept that i came up with and i'm kind of going through film we only have like seven or eight meetings so mm-hmm. kind of kind of just picking and choosing some big films in film history and so yeah. we're we're going to do citizen kane oh, next awesome. i'm like i'm almost positive that has to be in coven c but oh yeah that's there. For sure. <laughs> but i'm only on frankenstein i've, I've yeah. got a decade <laughs> left before i get the citizen kane um yeah. <laughs> it, in film history, I'm not sure how how long that works out to in Sundays, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I wonder. But yeah. I can tell you. <laughs> um, the book has the one thing the book has that the beyond the ability to choose your own, you know, choose your own adventure um, and go to whatever mm-hmm. movie you want. It also has um, a, a section that has like suggested paths through cinema history. Okay, um, so it'll be like lists, kind of kind of broken out by theme. Um, like hmm. kind of large, like larger spiritual themes that I kind of saw as I did this project. Very uh, cool. And some of those will be like, you know, a list of like 20 movies and some are a list of like seven movies, you know, it's just kind of, yeah. Everything. So it, if, if the idea of 250 movies is still intimidating for people, there's like a kind of some even easier ways to like work through and jump around a little bit. So, yeah. Um, anyway, I, I like the book too, but I love being yeah. most subscription more. So it's free and anyone can do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, uh, I guess uh, just like moving back to like wrapping up our talk, where um, I, I'm not really sure where does this movie lie for you in Nolan's filmography? Is it um, towards the top, middle, bottom? Where would you put this? Um, I probably have a list on Letterboxd that I've made for myself. Let's see where I, what I did there. So I did include it in Come and See, so I must think it's like the right. greatest film, right? Or at um, least important in film history. Yeah, at least important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's like a, there's like an, there's that way to answer the question. There's also just like a personal preference kind of way to answer the right. question. I like the, um, per, I like the subjective, I like the subjective answer, yeah. the personal answer, um, because it, I don't know. I like talking about, um, the meaningless like rankings and ratings that really don't mean anything because they're so subjective, mm-hmm. <laughs> but they're fun to so, talk about. So there's, so I don't think he's made a bad movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I would agree with that. I don't, you know, there's some filmmakers where they, uh, they haven't made a bad movie, but there's still like tears to what they've done kind of thing. Sure. And I don't really have a lot of tears with Nolan either. Like I would say, you know, following his first film, like, it's definitely rougher around the edges than mm-hmm. the rest of his movies, but there's nothing wrong with it. So yeah. if there's any tears, I'd probably put that one last. Um, on my on my letterbox list, I have Inception at the top of the list. 
when I did this on the when I made this list. Um, <laughs> but but I got to I got to tell you, like I'm 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 kind of obsessed with Tenet. Um, okay. I'm kind of obsessed with Tenet, and that that has like it's almost like someone incepted my mind somewhere down there, <laughs> and it's like you're gonna puzzle over Tenet forever. And it's not that I find Tenet confusing. I know what mm-hmm. goes on. I know the story of Tenet by now for sure. Um, and yet, I love puzzling over it. I like yeah. I like the way it's put together. I like turning it on. I turn it on sometime in the afternoon or in the evening if my wife's not around, and just like have it on like music. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like it's not a musical film. Like just like, right. that's not exactly the thing. But it's like something about the way it's put together. The the rhythm of it, of the rhythm of the story and how, it, how the story moves along. And then when you get to the turn where he starts going backwards and he goes outside for the first time and mm-hmm. the, the way the puddle splashes before he steps into it and the sound that's used to do that and all that kind of stuff, like it does bend my mind a little bit and I yeah. enjoy that quite a bit. And it's almost like, I've been trying to think what to describe it as, uh, how, what to liken it to, because um, it reminds me of something from my childhood. Um, hmm. That like, it's almost like you would like you'd read magazines and they'd have like brain benders in them, kind of yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. And I would sit and read those brain benders, and like you can't reconcile the brain bender, right? Like that's the whole thing. Like it just is there to confuse you, um, yeah. and yet you keep looking at it and thinking about it because it's fun to feel that thing. Yeah. And I feel like Tenet does that. Like, like maybe better than any of his films, it does that. Like it, it maintains that Penrose step thing, you know, where yeah. you know it mm-hmm. doesn't work and it can't logically work. And yet it's so compelling to mm-hmm. be in that thing. And because even a movie like, like Inception or Memento, like you can solve them. It's, it's like a puzzle, yeah. but it's a solvable puzzle, essentially. Yeah, Inception and really so, boils down to a pretty simple story. It really is. Yeah, it really yeah. is very simple. Um, especially if you if you buy the fact that he's awake at the end, then it's incredibly simple what goes on right. in that movie. And Memento has a very straightforward thing, and it's a very depressing story when you when you realize what it's going through, like straightforward, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And But Tenet, I don't think, ever actually ever, like, can't be exactly resolved in the same mm. way. And I really like that about it. Yeah. Um, Interstellar has grown on me quite a bit. Um, yeah. Quite a bit from when I first saw it. And I enjoy thinking about that movie. I Once I cued into where Nolan's emotional register was, I enjoyed that movie a lot more. Yeah. Um, the Dark Knight means something to me um, because of the 9-11 um, the 9-11 imagery and stuff that goes on there and how that fits into a post 9-11 world and kind of the, all that. I mean, I'm a, you know, I'm, I was in high school when 9-11 happened. So yeah. like that was a very, it's a very living thing in my brain all the time. Yeah. And the dark Knight and war of the worlds are the two movies that like help me continue to process <laughs> that yeah. moment in my life, you know? Um, so those, those four kind of like, loom largest for me um gotcha. inception tenet interstellar and the dark knight yeah. and then i love his other movies too 
Yeah. Is that a, is a good answer? I don't know. No, that's a really good answer. <laughs> I I like uh I love the way you've uh you've analyzed um your ranking in a very Nolan way. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like answering without exactly answering, uh-huh. but giving me giving me enough to go off of. Yeah. Like I can I'm I'm feeling the atmosphere of what what you're saying, you know, even if you're not that, giving a straight answer. <laughs> yeah. I think that I think that the prestige and Dunkirk are like immaculately constructed movies. Yes. And yeah. I really I admire them so much. Admire those movies so much. He should win Oscars for those movies. Who's gonna win Oscars for any of them? But they're mm-hmm. a little too maybe they're a little too neat and I like the shaggier movies a little bit more. They yeah, get that's away fair. From them a little bit. Um I I I'm partial to the Dark Knight Rises. People don't like it, but they're yeah. wrong. Um <laughs> it's it's a pretty good movie. Um yeah. way better than most superhero stuff that we get. So Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that too. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I agree. I there's not any of his movies that I don't like. Um Inception is just I I think the reason Inception like it's hard to like put far down the list of no movies is just because of it just feels like the the apex like the culmination of yeah who he is as a filmmaker and mm-hmm. you know if you like Nolan at all then Inception is at the it's towards the top you know it's mm-hmm. it's just because of what he's doing in it um yeah and if visually you hate Nolan, and if you hate yeah. Nolan you're really gonna hate Inception you know yeah because yeah. mm-hmm. it's very Nolan <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> um yeah i i so i have um the interstellar and and dunkirk are two that um that kind of sit at the top for me interstellar because it resonates with me emotionally so well mm. um which is kind of an anomaly in nolan's filmography for me yeah um a lot of his movies i understand like so for the for instance this one i understand what it's doing emotionally in my mm-hmm. head um but it but the way it's like written and constructed it doesn't necessarily like like i was talking about earlier like really pierce deep into me mm-hmm. um and interstellar does that for mm. me every time i watch it mm. um and dunkirk is kind of the opposite end of sitting at the top in that like i just think i don't think there is a such thing as a quote unquote perfect movie yeah. Um, but it's one of those that's like constructed so perfectly that it mm-hmm. feels it's like one of those movies that's like if you're gonna say a movie's a perfect movie, it's one of them sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. Just in in the way it's constructed technically, mm-hmm. um um so precisely. Um yeah. which to me is just like a beautiful thing that mm-hmm. I that I just love to sit and experience. Yeah. Um but yeah, so Inception is Inception and Prestige sit like right under there as far mm. as and and they're similar because they're movies that I love what they're doing and I even like understand what they're doing emotionally, but don't necessarily like pierce and yeah pierce me the same way that like Interstellar does. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoy Nolan. I've this has been a, a fun series to to go through, so yeah. I'm excited to to finish it up. Yeah, but yeah, I'm glad we'll you're um, enjoying going through it. I you know I did 
when I did the Transcending Time book, that was the first little uh, Icon of Cinema book that I did. And mm -hmm. I mean, I, I chose to do Nolan partially because I enjoy his movies. They're fun to watch, you know, uh, and they're fun to watch again. Um, and so I knew I wouldn't have a bad time doing that. Um, he's also a filmmaker who doesn't talk a lot about his movies yeah. and like doesn't do a lot of commentary tracks and doesn't do a lot of interviews and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. So they're like, there wasn't a large body of research material I could really get, a, get a, I could really do anything with, um, which made it easier to do the book. Um, yeah. So I didn't feel like I needed to do all that. There's a lot of extra research I even could do if I wanted to. Mm -hmm. um, but I did find it, I did, like you were saying, like I, I did find it to be a really rewarding experience to look at him closely and think of him in context of each other and his career and yeah. look for similarities and stuff. It was very useful. Yeah. Oh yeah. Very good to do. It's a good it's a good way to some filmmakers it really works well to do that. Oh yeah. For yeah. sure. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um we'll we'll take um a quick break here. Obviously, uh next week we'll be talking about the Dark Knight Rises, uh to wrap up that uh Batman trilogy. Um but but for now, um we're going to uh uh cut away with um the totem spinning. Um and you have to wait till next week to see uh, what we have to say about the Dark Knight Rises. Um, again, really bad joke there uh, for your enjoyment or not. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll take a quick break and uh, we'll come back uh, talk a, a little bit of movie news and spend some time doing um, our movie draft, which uh, will be I'm really excited about. There's it'll be a fun one. So we'll be back in just a second. Hey everyone, thank you for joining us on The Establishing Shot today. We hope you're enjoying the episode so far, and we hope you'll stick around for the segments we have coming up after this quick break. But uh, during this break, I wanted to tell you how you can get more involved with The Establishing Shot podcast. There are several ways you can do this. The main way you can do it is by going to establishingshotpod.com our website where you can find all sorts of information like uh, episodes with the show notes on there, uh, information about our guests for each episode. You can find uh, reviews there uh, and uh, there's a page where you can actually leave a review on the website if you want to. You can see all the platforms where the podcast is available like Apple, Spotify, all the major podcast platforms and even uh, a link to our YouTube page where you can see a video version of the podcast. So uh, please go to the website. And uh, the place I want to highlight there is our donate page, uh, which has information about our Establishing Shot family. This is a way that you can subscribe to the podcast to support all the efforts and uh, the just the stuff that goes into making this podcast good and making it better than it even is now. We have different tiers that you can subscribe to. Uh, starting at $5. And what this will do is you'll be able to support the podcast, help me make it better. And also at the same time, you'll get early and ad-free episodes. You'll get access to our Discord server where you can join in and just kind of talking about movies with a community that loves uh, film. And so we, we would love to have you in there. Uh, and then the higher up in the tiers you go, the more you get. Uh, even things like... Uh, 
chats and video chats that we'll do uh, every once in a while where we get to talk about uh, in more detail stuff that we're talking about on the podcast. So I hope you'll subscribe to that. Uh, choose a tier that fits uh, your budget. And uh, I would love for you to support the podcast in that way. And uh, the last thing I wanted to talk about uh, is where you can find us on social media. Uh, you can find me personally on Twitter at the Eli Price, and you can also follow me on Letterbox. Letterbox is kind of like a social media for movie reviews, so you can read my reviews there, and you can find me there at just Eli Price. You know, no no spaces or anything. Uh, so I'm on Twitter and Letterbox. You can find the podcast on all the uh, social pl- platforms as well, such as Twitter at Eshot Pod. And then on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok at Establishing Shot Pod. So make sure to follow us so you don't miss anything. If you have uh, any questions or comments about the episode or about the podcast, you can always email us at establishingshotpod at gmail.com. And the very last thing I want to do before you get back into the episode today is just ask you to please go to Spotify and Apple and leave some ratings and reviews that really helps the visibility of the podcast and gets it in more people's podcast feeds. And so we hope you will do that for us and we would greatly appreciate it. So I hope you enjoy the rest of the episode and I will see you next time on the Establishing Shot podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back. Uh, I'm Eli Price here with Elijah Davidson, and uh, we just had a great conversation on uh, Inception. Um, I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, But uh, this is a a big movie weekend um, on the weekend this is releasing. Uh, uh, Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon is um, releasing, uh, uh, of course, unless between here and now it gets pushed back. Which could happen. Um, it yeah. could very easily happen. So yeah. uh, I don't think it will. We'll see. I, yeah. I hope not because I'm really looking forward to it. No, um, me too. <laughs> yeah. Right. So um, is this uh, – so I'll say this. Scorsese is one of my favorite directors. Um, it's – funnily enough, he's one that I haven't seen all of his movies still. I'm, I still have a good handful to catch up with. Um, he has a just, lot of movies. He, he has so. a lot as part yeah. of the reason. But mm-hmm. um, I haven't seen all his movies either. I think I'm three short shy right now of seeing okay. all his films. I have yeah. a few more than that that I still need to see. But um, but yeah, um, yeah, Killers of the Flower Moon. Is this? Uh, have you been looking forward to this for years, like I have ever since it was announced? <laughs> announced. Well, I never really book. I, I hardly ever believe a Scorsese movie is going to happen until it happens. Um, sure. Because he's, you know, he's one of those filmmakers who always has like a bunch of projects you hear about he's going to make. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when one finally does happen, then I'm like, yeah, I'm there. So it's like <laughs> as soon as we saw that photo of Lily Gladstone and and Leonardo DiCaprio sitting beside each other, the other mm-hmm. famous one photo we had forever, I was like, okay, yep. that's there's an actual movie happening. I can get excited now, <laughs> or at least one frame of it. That's right. I'll go watch that frame <laughs> if they project that frame yeah. in a theater. For two and a half hours, I'll go sit there and do that. That's what Scorsese wants to do for me. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to this. Um, I don't, I, I try to stay away from trailers. So I haven't yeah, seen like too. the, 
the first trailer. I did watch like the teaser mm-hmm. um, that they that they originally put out, which is you know really short, doesn't really tell you anything, um, and it's one of the best like teaser trailers I think I've ever seen. Mm. Um, I think I accidentally saw it. I avoid trailers too for any movie that I know, I know yeah. I'm going to see already, and I think I accidentally saw that in the theater before I saw, you know, before I saw Oppenheimer, I think mm. they played it. Um, yeah. And I think I, I couldn't avoid it. I was in, was in a big, big theater for Oppenheimer. Often I'll do the, like the, put your fingers in your ears, close your eyes thing. Yeah. So you can't see or hear a trailer like that, but it was kind of an overwhelming experience there. So I think I saw yeah. a little bit. There. Yeah. It, it was a really impressive teaser, but, um, but yeah, I, I've been able to stay away from, like the actual trailer um mm-hmm. te- uh a lot of times teasers are pretty okay about not mm-hmm. really telling you anything just giving you some like visuals yeah. to get you excited and i don't want to know anything I'm, i i don't want to know yeah. anything at all about a movie that i'm excited about exactly i want to know yeah. nothing yeah yeah like no, i mean i know me. i know like generally what it's about because i mean it's based on a it's being adapted from a nonfiction book mm-hmm. about a real story. And so like yeah. you kind of generally know what it's about. But yeah, I don't I don't want to know what yeah. exactly is gonna go on. So yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean it's something that I'm really looking forward to. Um I just I just hope we get a good a good theatrical release of it. Not because of strike related things, but yeah, uh, it's an app. It's an Apple, like it has an Apple release, and I hope they put it yeah. in enough theaters for long enough that people can go see it. Like the Irishman, yeah. that was a Netflix release, and it was in theaters, barely, you know, barely. Um, I barely. didn't watch it in theaters. Yeah, I, I mean, I went, I went to see it in a theater here in LA because it was playing at the, uh, at the Egyptian, and which Netflix bought, mm-hmm. so they could premiere films every once in a while in there. Um, but you know, it was only there for like two weeks, so. Yeah, um, it was. I'm glad. I think Apple at least knows they have something that they can make a few million dollars off of by putting it in a theater. So why not do that? So yeah, hope it's around for a little bit of time. Yeah, yeah, I, I hope it does too. I I think um, I think this one has a enough hype around it that I think it'll get it should get a get theatrical release. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think so too. The Irishman. Yeah. I don't remember hearing like it didn't have as much hype around it as mm-hmm. this did, which yeah. is a shame because I think Irishman is great, but, um, Oh yeah. You know, it, that's pre pre pandemic world. The Irishman. Yeah. Movies were a little um, different then. So, yeah. yeah. But yeah, it Netflix released Apple. The there's been, I don't know. I, the whole like streaming and mm-hmm. theatrical stuff is just a, I think it's yeah. a mess. I, th- I think no it one is. still has figured it out yeah. exactly I'm, what to do. I'm glad there are filmmakers like Scorsese who have enough um, notoriety that they're able to go in there and get their whatever millions of dollars they need to make the movies they want yeah. to make from these streamers. Yeah. Um, I think they would want a little bit more theatrical release time and all that kind of stuff for their films as well. But yeah, and I'm glad Scorsese is making movies. He's like 82 yeah. years old. So, yeah. so getting ready yeah. to make movies. I'm all for that. <laughs> yeah, and there are already rumors of of more. <laughs> yeah, of course he's not gonna stop. Um, he'll he'll drop down on yeah. set. <laughs> oh yeah, obviously. Yeah, it, <laughs> it's just one of those things where like it's it's kind of a um, 
the studios aren't necessarily going to give Martin Scorsese the sort of budget that he would maybe want to work with, Mm -hmm. but these stream streaming services will. Yep. Um, But then there's like the, the catch 22 of like, well, this is where I can get my budget, but also like, am I going to get the theatrical release that I would want? Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, well, which, which one am I willing to sacrifice? And yeah, it seems like a lot of them are sacrificing the theatrical release for the budget. Yeah, they seem um, not to have much of a much much of an option, you know. Just yeah. get money. So yeah, but. the uh, I mean, uh, another movie that I'm looking forward to uh, is uh, Hitman, the latest mm-hmm. Linklater movie, and that got picked mm-hmm. up by Netflix. Um, okay, which means it'll barely be in theaters at all, and it'll just be on Netflix, and people won't know it's there. It'll just disappear, you know. And yeah. you know, Linklater is definitely like. One of those filmmakers who is a bit more relaxed than uh, yeah. Scorsese and doesn't have quite the same cultural cachet, but you still want to watch his movies in a the theater, you know, like like going to see Boyhood in a theater when that was released. That's a big deal, you know. That was yeah. a a real experience, and um, to maybe not be able to see his latest one in a the theater, it's sad to me, you know. I want to yeah. want to have that have that moment. But, yeah, yeah, that's. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. Um, I it's like I it's like a love hate thing because uh, there's a piece of me that's like, man, I want these in theaters and I want to see them in theaters. But there's also like, you know, we were talking about our kids, and it's like mm-hmm. I have a wife and a four year old and a nine month old, and it's like, yeah, well, at the same yeah, time, it's, it's kind of yeah. nice to have these movies streaming so I can still catch up with them and be mm-hmm. a part of the cultural conversation when yeah. I can't make it to the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, that's so true. that's true. Yeah. I've, what I've done is, um, it's hard to get out. That's for sure. And like, I have to prioritize that kind of thing, mm-hmm. and make that happen. And, uh, the, I've decided that the movies I'm not wasting my time in the theater for are the superhero movies. All the, yeah. that's, that's going to come on a streaming service. I might yep. have to wait a month or two, but I don't care. It'll come. I'll wait. It'll come it to then. Disney Plus. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't need to see that in a theater. I'll mm-hmm. happily watch that at home. So, um, what they should do? See, if I was in charge, eh, put me in charge. Um, <laughs> you can pay me nothing. Just put me in charge so I can make the world how I want it to be. Yeah. Um <laughs> I, I would. I, I think Disney. Speaking of Disney, I think Disney should release every Star Wars thing they do. Like first two episodes of Ahsoka, first two episodes of a new season of Mandalorian, all that. That should be a theatrical release. Um mm. where they would it's just money on the table that they're just like giving away. And you could go yeah. in, you could spend a couple hours in there watching the first two episodes of the thing and then go home and watch on on TV as it comes, build buzz for it, all yeah. that kind of stuff. Why don't they do that? You know? I mean I love that. Yeah. So much, yeah. Yeah, well, and then you know, they could it. They could also like release. They could re-release the original animated versions of the live-action yeah. versions they're making, so that those of us that don't want to see the live-action one can just go see uh-huh. <laughs> the re-release of the better one. Exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah. I don't want to see the Little Mermaid. I want to watch the original Little Mermaid in the theater, like I did. You know, when mm-hmm. I was four years old. Uh, yeah. <laughs> my yeah. first. That's not my first. My that's my second theatrical memory is going to see the little mermaid my first theatrical memory oh, is cool. going to see oliver and company uh, i remember going to see oh, oliver and yeah. company in the theater um and then i remember I, I distinctly remember going to see little mermaid i would love to do that again come on yeah disney yeah that's really cool take my money take my money yeah 
you could take your kid, you know, exactly to, yeah. to see it like you did. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would do that in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah, I, I think a lot of parents wouldn't. I don't. I don't know why they don't do that. But uh, we but had yeah, a, uh, I, I just feel a, like if you're if you've got to make your live action remake, then at least release the other one too, so yeah. that I can see the one that's better. <laughs> uh, for real, I agree. But yeah, um, yeah. So, Killers of the Flower Moon uh, is uh, adapted from a nonfiction book, like we said, and so um, that's what we're gonna do for our movie draft. Um, so, uh, if uh, if you're ready, we can jump into our movie draft. Okay, let's uh, do it. Movies adapted from nonfiction books, um, and there's a, there's a surprising number of these um oh so many uh, yeah there's a ton um and a ton of really good ones mm-hmm. um so i think we'll we'll draft uh i think we did we decide on seven each okay um beforehand uh i think that's mm-hmm. what we said okay um i'm excited so, about this. Uh, I'm, I'm a big nonfiction reader so okay i love so i'm i'm i'm, I'm here for this i even have i even have a uh, little list i'll share at the end of Five nonfiction books I wish they would adapt as movies. Okay, so I got that ready to go too. So, ooh, that's fun. I'm excited. Yeah, um, <laughs> let's let's jump into it. So, you know, if you're a first time listener and jumping in for this Inception episode, basically we just we're picking the best kickball team on the playground. Um, <laughs> but the the options that we're picking from are movies from a specific <laughs> category. So, um, you know, we want to pick the best team and. Uh, you as the listener um, get to vote uh, on social media um, on who you think had the better draft. And so that's, um, I always enjoy seeing the results of those uh, and see what, what the people think. Um, but yeah, um, I always give my guests uh first time guests the first pick. So I'll, um, I'll let you take the first pick here. Okay. Mm. This is this gets tricky now. This is the one time I get to not worry about what you're going to pick and take off the plate <laughs> for me. Yep. And so I got to go. Do I want to pick the movie that I that is most important to me that I want to make sure I have on my team? Like, do I pick my best friend? You know, right? Or do I pick the guy <laughs> who's the best athlete who's going to help me win? Right. Right. That's that's the kickball thing that we got to uh-huh. solve here. So that's that's tricky. Um. How would my friend feel if I didn't pick him first? That's what you do with your best friend in kickball. You pick yeah. your best friend first because, like, it's fun. The to relationship be first. is more important, you more know, important than the than the winning. Yeah, but winning's fun, but winning um, is fun, and technically, the movie doesn't love you back. So that's true. And if you can, <laughs> if you can, if you can rely on your opponent who's also picking to pick their best friend first, well, then yeah. you don't have to worry about. You can pick your best friend second. You can do what things you want. But I'm, just, I'm picking my best friend. That's what I decided. In the, in okay. this I'm, pick, I'm picking my best friend to start with. And so I'm picking Apollo 13. Um, Ooh, which is yeah. based on the book Lost Moon uh, by Jim Lovell. Um, yep. And Apollo 13 is one of those uh, movies for me that is like, it's been part of my life for so long. I watch it very very regularly it always does something for me we talked about like movies that help us like deal with stuff i'm surprised mm-hmm. by the number of times apollo 13 has helped me deal with stuff in my life continues to do that it is just one of those movies that means a ton to me also yeah. it's really good and it's like 
yeah, kind of popular to hate on on uh, Ron Howard, uh, and he's made some bad <laughs> movies. Um, sure, but Apollo thirteen is not a bad movie. Apollo thirteen is a great movie, and there's not like a false moment in that movie. The performances are fantastic. Um, mm. The structure is awesome. I mean, you know how that thing ends because it's history, and yet you're still holding right. your breath to if they're going to get home or not. Um, mm-hmm. It is an immaculate piece of entertainment um, with good weight and all that kind of stuff. Apollo 13, my first pick. Come on, best friend. You're on my team. We may <laughs> go down together, but we're going to have fun. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I so Apollo 13 is a movie I remember seeing as a kid, and I don't know that I've watched it since, like, again, as an adult. Uh, oh, so watch I it. think that's it's, it's, I think that's one I need to it. revisit um, because yeah. I loved it as a kid. It's um, amazing, yeah, and I think I think up. I would still love it. I've yeah. I've always been a space lover, mm-hmm. um, just like anything dealing with space. Like, so, yeah. yeah, I love Interstellar. I love space sci-fi, Star Wars, but also like I love like reading like Stephen Hawking books about like mm. space and the universe. It's just mm-hmm. like super interesting to me. Um, so, uh, yeah, I love that pick. Um, you picked your best friend. I'll pick, um, one of my best friends and I already, we already actually kind of talked about it in the movie news section. Um, we, uh, talked about the Irishman and I, I love the Irishman. I think it's, it's right up there. Uh, the Irishman taxi driver and silence, I think are, Mm. are my favorite and maybe even King of comedy are like my favorite Scorsese's. And mm. so I watched when the Irishman was, when I knew it was coming out, I watched, um, all of Nolan's, um, gangster movies kind of, uh, I think I watched them like in order that they came out. Um, mm-hmm. and I also watched all of his like collaborations with De Niro. Mm. Um, and so by the time I got to the Irishman, like I was working off of like, a history yeah. of Scorsese and De Niro, but also like Scorsese and gangster movies. And so the Irishman feels kind of like a deconstruction of all that work he had done with gangster movies in the past. Yeah. Cause I think there's a So one, so like Goodfellas, for instance, there's a degree to which I think Goodfellas is showing you like, the results of that sort of life and Mm -hmm. it's supposed to make you not want to go down that road in a, Mm -hmm. in a way, um, you know, obviously like maybe not to like, uh, joining a, becoming a gangster degree, but, um, just making those choices. Um, but also like it glamorizes it so much that I'm like, it almost works against itself in some ways. Um, Mm -hmm. because like it makes it look so good. Um, and the Irishman kind of deconstructs that. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, it's these older men that have lived a lot, this life of gang, like being gangsters and Scorsese as an older director, uh, dealing with, you know, a lifetime of filmmaking. Um, Mm -hmm. and I just love the, those concepts that he's dealing with there and, um, Mm -hmm. and thinking about those and, um, the way um the way it ends is like uh kind of kind of devastating um yeah. in a way and um but like in a in a way that i think is 
really beautifully done, but also like makes you think about the things that you should be thinking about at the end of a gangster yeah. movie. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so maybe I love the, the Irishman. Yeah. It got, it got, I feel like it got a bad rap from like the CGI work, which I didn't think was like that terrible. I mean, it's not so great, I, but I love the CGI work yeah. in the Irishman because I think it's thematically appropriate sure. because it is a movie about old men. And mm-hmm. the fact that you can see the old man, old man in the young man, um, that it, like, I don't think it's bad de-aging. I think it's sure. the right kind of de-aging. And, like, they could have cast younger actors yeah. in those roles, you know? That would have been the typical way to do that. Um, but if you do that, you lose vision of the old men in the young men. Sure. And, like, you would lose, you, I think what you're supposed to be thinking about is how all the regrets um, and guilt that weigh these men down when they're old, they're headed toward that when they're young. Yeah. That, that is in, that is in them already. You know, it's that original sin Catholic can't get away from sin thing. That's already present in you oh, um, yeah. when you're young. I think it's thematically um, perfect the way that the CGI works in that book. Oh yeah. 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 I, I, I love the Irishman. Um, and I, I think part of the reason I love it is because the way I, watch through those movies that mm-hmm. led up to it and really probably helped elevate it. Um, but yeah, adapted from, I didn't mention um, the, I heard you paint houses yeah. is the name of the thing, which if you've seen the movie, you know what that means. Um, or if yeah. you've read the book, um, yeah. which I haven't, I haven't read a lot of the books, probably any of the books on this list, honestly. Hmm. Um, so which I thought about is a shame. with my draft. I thought about, should I only pick movies where I've read the book? Yeah. And I, I almost do that with my with my list. We'll yeah, I, I don't know that I would have any movies to pick. Mm. <laughs> there are very many. So well, I will say that I couldn't I have, really do that. I have found it to be really rewarding to read the books that the movies are based on, especially mm. nonfiction books. That's yeah. been a really rewarding experience for me. Cool. Um, okay, we yeah, my next pick. Yeah, you're up. All right. So my next pick is going to be Mean Girls. Um, I love which is it. based on Queen Bees and Wannabes. Mm-hmm. Um, so not a book that tells the story in Mean Girls, um, but a book that takes that book and makes a story out of it. So yeah. um, I absolutely love Mean Girls. One of, those, I can, one of those movies I can watch anytime, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I also love, we'll see if I get to it or if you get it first, but I also love films based on nonfiction books where the book doesn't, it's based on, doesn't tell the story that's in the movie. You know, like, yeah. I like this remove. I think it's really clever um, mm-hmm. and neat, neat screenwriting. Um, so, Mean Girls. Mean Girls. And Mean Girls is one of those movies that's kind of perfect. You know, like, it's, it's, ex- yeah. it's exactly what it wants to be. It has no beats that are wrong for what it wants to be. Um, just a great, great, perfect movie. Mean Girls. Yeah. Pick number two. Got a good team. Yeah, it's I mean, that's a good one. I I think that is like a maybe a strong kicker, you know, for your kickball team. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is. You want that mean girl on your team. That's what you want. Yeah. People (laughs) don't want to pick the girl, but there's always that one girl who's like better than all the guys. So that's Tina Fey. Um, that is. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I I took mean girls. We did um, a 2000s comedies uh, draft and I took mean girls in that. Uh, Yeah, that was. that was a strong uh, piece of that team. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, 
yeah, I love Mean Girls. It's it's great. Um, I and I love the idea of a book, a nonfiction book that just has these ideas and concepts that it's dealing with, and then taking mm-hmm. that and like wrapping it into a story. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I I would wonder if um if this were to be like nominated for its screenplay which I doubt it ever would. Yeah, if it would be adapted or original, I'm not really sure. Pretty sure it would have been adapted um, because usually there's like legal things about that. And it says based on Queen Bees and Wannabes in the credits. So Okay, yeah, there um, you go. Yeah. Cool. Um, Sweet. Well, with my second pick, I'm going to pick a very different uh, good athlete for the team. Then Mean Girls, uh, probably on the opposite end of the spectrum, like film-wise. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, uh, Francis Ford Coppola's Apocalypse Now. Nice. Um, adapted uh, from the story uh, Heart of Darkness by Joseph Conrad, mm-hmm. um, which is um, about a... I've read it, I read it a, a long while ago. Um, so this one I actually did read. Um, it's uh he's he was a was he a missionary i believe that's um, right yeah and uh it was during colonization uh he went um to this village in africa and set up um basically he he made himself out to be a god and um when they found him it was like intense uh what he was going through. Uh, but yeah, um, it, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great little book, but also apocalypse now taking that, taking that story and, um, then like, yeah, just taking that story and putting it in Vietnam and putting a like demented Marlon Brando, um, (laughs) and, and like, yeah, it, uh, I watched Apocalypse Now. I can't remember. Um, it wasn't that long ago, probably like a couple years ago. I watched watched it for the first time. Mm. Um, just kind of, you know, the past like probably four or five years, I've really been working on catching up with a lot of like important films that um, that I didn't see, you know, growing up. And this was one of them that I mean it's a haunting movie. Like those, it is a lot of yeah. images from that movie are like burned into my brain. Um, so yeah, I just a really interesting way to adapt a mm-hmm. book like heart of darkness, um, to put it in a, a completely different context and to tell it, um, in such a, um, th- there is a lot of surrealism in this movie. For um, sure. Yeah. So to to take that and even make it even more surreal, um, just a really interesting way to adapt. Yeah. Um, if you ever, work. if you ever had the chance to see it in a theater, um, definitely mm. try to do that. Um, I had that chance a few years ago, and it was one of the most um, aesthetically affecting experiences of my life. Mm. Um, not so much the image; the images are amazing, but the sound. Um, mm. the sound design just completely blew my mind and to be like completely enveloped and inundated by the sound design of that film was an amazing experience. So if you ever yeah. have a chance, don't miss it. Uh, yeah. I, I would, I would say like 
of all the films I've seen in theaters that are like classic movies that I've had a chance to see, that's the one that was like, I would do that again in my heart. Like it was just the best thing. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'll definitely will make sure to keep an eye. We do have um like a, I can't remember what it's called. It's like flashback cinema, I think mm. at our local theater. So I I got to see the Godfather theaters. Oh, fun. A that's few a years ago. Experience too. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's a movie you see in a theater and you like see things you never saw before. Yeah. Like, like character moments and like things you never saw before. Mm-hmm. Um, great experience. Okay. Number three. Number three. All right. Um, okay. This is tough now because I'm just going to go for it. All right. I'm picking Seabiscuit. I'm going Seabiscuit. Seabiscuit. Um, All right. Yeah. Picking Seabiscuit. Um, so the reason I'm picking Seabiscuit, um, movie's great. Love them. Super fun. Good movie. Good experience. One of the worst Speaking of movie, one of the worst experiences I've ever had in a movie um, oh, man. theater was seeing Seabiscuit. I was, we went like, it was like opening weekend, maybe the weekend after, packed theater. Um, but we we were sitting in kind of the middle of the theater, but there was this little girl sitting beside me, sitting by her friend, and she had seen the movie already. And so before anything happened, she would say, oh, this is the part where this happens. Oh, this is the part where this happens throughout the entire film. Okay. The entire it was absolutely horrible. And she was like seven years old, you know, so I'm not gonna yell at her. You know, it was just like a miserable (laughs) thing. And then and that's not even all of it. There was also a guy that was sitting like down to the right on the side, and he answered his phone during the movie and started talking. And he was like, Yeah, yeah, I'm in a movie. I'm seeing Sea (laughs) Biscuit. Yeah, it's pretty good. I think I like it. Yeah, you know about the horse, and like he just like had a conversation <laughs> about the movie, and it was absolutely horrendous. That's and terrible. Even though, even though that, that happened, I still love the movie. And the reason I'm picking it for my team is the fact that I like it is it's one of the best nonfiction books I've ever read. Hmm. Uh, Laura Hildebrand uh, wrote the book, and it is so 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 good. Like, okay, kind of like the movie. If you remember, like you get a little bit of history about what's going on at the time, and then you get Sea Biscuit stuff, and it kind of cuts in and out of that kind of thing and does that ken burns thing for some of the, the ken burns actually directed some of the documentary part of it or whatever um so it gets some of that but the book is like that in the best possible way like mm-hmm. it reminds me of uh like a non-fixing grapes of wrath because grapes of wrath yeah. does that like it gives you like a chapter that's on in general during the depression and then a chapter on the joe family and back and forth and it's like that but about the real world it's such a good book um, yeah. And the movie's a really good adaptation of that book, too. Love to see, I watched it many times. So, yeah. See, that's good. That's my third pick. Yeah. I I can't remember. Honestly, I can't remember if I've seen Seabiscuit. I don't think I've seen it. Hmm. Um, so it wasn't on my list. But, um, but yeah, I'll definitely add it to the watch list Fun. now. Yeah. The ever-increasing watch list that I wonder yeah. if I'll ever watch everything <laughs> on. Yeah, you got a lot um, of life, you know? Yeah. There's more good movies to see. <laughs> Um, and they just keep putting them out. Um, they, do. they do. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I have there. So there's a few that I'm looking at that I'm like, man, I want, so like, I usually, I try to like diversify mm-hmm. <laughs> my list and not make them all these like important, heavy, like, right. Cause like the Irishman and apocalypse now, very mm-hmm. like hefty films. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to take a little bit of a turn. There's some there's some heavier parts of this, but most of it is just like 
pure fun. Uh, my wife is going to love me for taking this and taking it this early because it's not my favorite <laughs> of a lot of them left. Uh, but I'm going to go with the sound of music. Nice. Um, Good choice. It's, uh, it's adapt. It's technically adapted from a, a stage play that's adapted mm-hmm. from the a book, which I believe is, uh, like a memoir or autobiography of, yeah. uh, Von Trapp, uh, mm-hmm. family. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a delightful movie yes. to watch. Great. I, yeah. You know, my, my son hasn't seen it yet. Um, he will, but he already like kind of knows some of the songs because we will like walk around the house humming them or whatever. So, yeah, um, I'm excited to show him that. Um, I grew up yeah. watching that movie a lot. Yeah. So my sister was obsessed with it. She was, I don't know, she was like five or six years old and would just watch it again and again and again and again, mm-hmm. and again, and again all day long. So I've seen that movie. It's one of those movies I've seen more times than I could possibly ever count because I would just sit there <laughs> and watch it with her because being movie crazy, I've always had that tendency um (laughs) good pick good pick i think he's a very good movie yeah edelweiss little trivia for you edelweiss written for the musical not the actual national song of austria or whatever yeah um okay not an old song written for the musical gotcha everyone assumes yeah it's it's a beautiful (laughs) it's a beautiful song um i have uh I have a vinyl of a record by Sarah Watkins, mm-hmm. who is um, a the bluegrass freak. artist. Yeah. Um, and she has an album that she wrote as like lullabies for her daughter. Oh, nice. um, and she has a cover of uh, it. It's some originals and a lot of covers. And she has a cover of Edelweiss. That's just beautiful. That's on awesome. there. Yeah. yeah. So you can really I think it's called it. under the pepper tree is the name of the album. Okay. Cool. Yeah. We're going to see Nickel Creek here in a few weeks. Okay, um, yeah. So I'm super excited about that. So yeah, that's exciting. It's amazing. Yeah. And my favorite line about Sarah Watkins, I read a review one time of one of their concerts, and the reviewer wrote he wasn't sure if he wanted to marry her or be her. Um, <laughs> after seeing the show, I've always liked that. That's, that's pretty awesome. appropriate. <laughs> um, okay, I get to pick again now. Okay. Yes. Um, so now we're at the point in the picking where do I want to balance out my team? Do I want to just pick pick my friends? You know, like yeah, what do you need to go for here. It's hard. So I've got Apollo thirteen, Mean Girls, and Seabiscuit. I'm liking my team so far. Um, what's my team missing though? What's my team missing? I feel like I need. I mean, Mean Girls is kind of scrappy. Um, <laughs> mean Girls is scrappy. Apollo thirteen's crowd pleaser. Seabiscuit's crowd pleaser. Maybe I need to go prestige now. Maybe I need a prestige pick, or do I Maybe. need? Because there's there's a movie I really want to get. I don't want to get taken because I love it. Go for it. But I kind of need a prestige pick on my on my team. You know what? I got two prestige picks in my pocket. You can't take both of them with your next pick. So if you pick <laughs> the true. one, I can pick the next one next time. So I can go and get the get the movie I really want now. I want Moneyball. I'm taking Moneyball. All right. Good pick. Moneyball is my next the, pick. Here's the trick: is the the funny thing about these is you don't necessarily know movies that the other person hasn't seen and couldn't pick, and that's, that's one true. that my like I have a few friends that love this movie and like hound me all the time to see it, and I just haven't gotten around to seeing it. Oh yeah, huh. yeah. Well, good stuff. I'm I was safe there with Moneyball. I love Moneyball. Moneyball, another one of those where the the book is 
an adapted thing based on something that's not that story at all. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but extra bit of in, that I find interesting about this. So it's, you know, it's, it's the book is about sabermetrics, just mm-hmm. the the mathematical way of choosing the most um, efficient and advantageous way to win whatever it is that you're doing. Kind yeah. of appropriate for a movie draft, actually. That I would pick Moneyball. Um, yeah. Yeah, um, true. You, you don't you don't pick the big name. You pick the people who get on base. Basically, mm-hmm. like you 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 uh, optimize for what helps you win, not what whatever else. So that's what yeah. the book is about. They actually did that on the Oakland Athletic Baseball team. They actually used that strategy to revitalize their team. And so the movie is a nonfiction story based on a book that's not actually about that thing, <laughs> but it yeah. is a nonfiction book. So it's also I love Bennett Miller. He hasn't made enough movies. And apparently his next thing is a Christmas Carol adaptation, which is hmm. weird to me because that's like not the kind of thing he does. Yeah. Um, but love Moneyball. Think about it all the time. Watch it pretty regularly. It's one of those ones kind of like Tenet that I turn on like music because I just like living in its rhythm and living in its its mood. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Moneyball. That's my pick. Yeah. It's, he, it's definitely I'm tell one you to that watch I'll... it because. I don't, I don't want you to feel like somebody else is like telling you to watch a movie, um, but when you get to it, you'll enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it's one of the, it's so some, there's some movies that people are like, Oh, you got to see this. And I'm like, well, since you keep bothering me about it, I'm not going to mm. see it. That's yeah. not, this isn't one of them. I do actually want to see it. It's just, it's not going to gonna change your life. You know, there's but it, so many movies. Um, it's so a really well-made movie. See. So really good movie. If, if we still live in a world where we all had cable television and just had cable TV on all the time, you would have mm-hmm. seen Moneyball because it's the kind of movie that would have just been on cable, you know, yeah. and like on TBS or something, and you would have yeah. picked it up in pieces over time. But we don't live in that world. <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah, it, it just doesn't happen that way anymore. And I don't know that it ever will. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe uh, we'll come full circle eventually. Probably um, so. <laughs> uh, yeah, this um so for my next pick um I'm going to go with one that is absolutely like another heavy pick and I guess you would say a prestige pick um that I caught up with um a couple years ago. I I can actually see when I did cuz I locked it. Yeah, in, in 2020, um, I caught up with this. Um, and I'm going to go with Spike Lee's Malcolm X. Okay. Um, I just, I mean, Denzel is phenomenal in this. Um, and, like, I think it's appropriate for this um, draft uh, uh, being based on, adapted from a nonfiction book, which it's adapted from, um, I think two different, yeah, two different autobiography memoirs, um, Mm -hmm. by him. Um, so I think like, it's a great movie for this category for me personally, because I grew up in the South Mm -hmm. and I don't think it's, um, a secret that, uh, there's a higher concentration of, of racism, both personal and systemic in the South. Mm-hmm. not a secret. And so I always, I mean, I grew up with the impression that Malcolm X was more villainous than mm-hmm. anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of that and, opposed to Martin Luther King thing. He was the violent right, kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Like Martin Luther King is the, was the good one. Malcolm X was the bad one. 
um, you know, just very general, like nothing specific, just that general impression. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like the, I mean, the older I got, obviously like the more I can like think about the nuance of, well, maybe not, but, but watching this movie helped me like unpack that, um, about Malcolm X and kind of deal with who he was and why he was, who he was, why he made the choices he made, mm-hmm. why he took the approach he did. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just like reckon with the, you know, it, it's true of a story as you can get from mm-hmm. a film based on autobiography. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, um, so yeah, just as far as like nonfiction adaptations, I think out of all the ones that I would have picked, this was, this is the one that, um, is like, it helped me feel like really reckon with some things that just misinformation mm. um, that I, that I grew up with. Um, mm. So, yeah. That's good. That's good. Um, that's great. I'm going to, I'm going to follow you up there with one that I had on my list here. Uh, that I think it's a good, a good match to that. Um, and I'm going to pick 12 years of slave, mm. um, which is, you know, based on the, uh, Solomon Northup's um, yeah. account of his own life, um, the autobiographical adaptation there, um, and um, yeah, for kind of similar reasons actually. Like I'm, I'm also from the South, and mm-hmm. um, also, um, you know, have a uh, legacy of. I don't want to. I don't want to completely sell out my my distant relatives, uh, but sure. you know, there's <laughs> uh, from the, so there's there's some there's some good in there too, but there's also some bad. Um, yeah. like there's definitely an uncle, a great uncle, a great uncle, something like that, that after he died, they found, you know, clan robes in his, in his closet that they never knew were there kind of thing. Mm. Um, and, um, tell your slave was one of those movies that it, it, it forced me to recognize where I was in that story, you know, mm. that, mm-hmm. that I am. You know, there's that thing with like we read the Bible and like we want to, we want to um, see ourselves as the whoever the hero is in the story, yeah. or whatever. And we often shouldn't. You know, like we often should see ourselves as whoever the sinner is in the story. Um, yeah. And Twelve Years a Slave is one of those where I had to like, I couldn't, I it will not, it would not let me see myself as the protagonist. Um, right. I had to recognize that if I'm anyone in this movie, I'm the people that kept that man in slavery and did horrible mm-hmm. things to him. And that yeah. my legacy is um, is that side of things, and yeah. you know what do I do with that now? Now, obviously, I don't we're, we don't live there anymore, and it's not my family direct family didn't do that, and all that kind of stuff, you know. But the legacy is there, you know. Mm-hmm. Like my my distant relatives back in the day, like there were two brothers that um, that. I had two brothers who fought for the Confederacy and I had two of the two of the brothers who fought for the fought for the North. They were in Tennessee and they yeah. split sides and after the war was over, they parted ways and never spoke to one another again. And uh, two, the half of them moved to Texas, the other one stayed behind and lost back of that side of the family forever. You know, like mm. so there's there's definitely racism like that uh, in my family's past. And um it that movie, even when I still watch it, like makes me have to recognize that and you know reckon with that um yeah and force me to what am i going to do now and it also challenges me christianly because i'm like 
because uh, like that movie turns on, you know, he comes, he has a moment of faith in that film um, where he, 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 he learns the faith of the slaves um, and then, uh, you know, and sings with them. And it challenges media. Like he has, these people have claim to Christ. Do I have mm-hmm. any claim to Christ? Because I, yeah. people that like this, that's who Christ is for. How could Christ be for me? You know? Yeah. Um, and if there's grace enough, if there's grace for me, if there's, if God has grace enough for me, then God has a lot of grace, like more yeah. grace than I can imagine. You know. Yeah. Um, so, topic twelve is a slave. I'll follow up your knock on that for twelve years a slave. Yeah, so, it's yeah. a great pick. Um, tw- Twelve Years a Slave is one that I saw in theaters. I went with um, one or two other people, and one of the most just like, um, I don't want to say like incredible, but like visceral and like yeah experiences I've ever had in a theater. Um, mm-hmm. I remember I will never forget um, the movie ended and the credits were rolling. And it's like the everyone in the it was I think it was opening weekend. So it was a packed theater and it was completely silent. Yeah. And everyone got up and kind of filed out completely Mm -hmm. silent. Um, We everyone was walking, you know, you all kind of we all kind of floated to our cars just like and you could hear there was even like in the parking lot. It was just like nothing, Um, Mm -hmm. a murmur here and there, you know. Um, and I'll like, I'll never forget that experience. Um, just an incredible, (laughs) an incredible movie as far as like the filmmaking goes, but you know, the experience is, is hard. It's one of those, Mm -hmm. it's one of those movies that I would say, like, it's one of the hardest movies you'll, you'll probably ever watch, but also Mm -hmm. maybe even at the same time, one of the most important movies mm-hmm. to watch. Um, yeah. But yeah. It, and, and I had a similar experience to watching it. Yeah. So um, yeah, great, really great pick. Um, I, I struggle like to reckon with that. Like I haven't seen it since then um, mm-hmm. just because that experience is so burned to me. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know if I need to experience that again. Mm-hmm. I probably do, but yeah. but I like yeah. resist it, you know. Uh-huh. Oh, it's understandable. Um, like yeah. A one timer or make your make so you set yourself up correctly before you do yeah. it. Watch it again. Yes. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. Um Yeah. I think um I'm gonna take a a turn, a hard turn from these and I'm gonna go with <laughs> A director that um that's been he's become pretty controversial as of late. Not um more in the sense of like is are his films good or not? Um, and I'm gonna go with Adam McKay's The Big Short, okay, which I really yeah. like. I mm-hmm. think it's a good movie. I think it's funny. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it deals with um the the housing crisis and the the book it's adapted yeah. that, that information in a very like. You know, it's I'll I'll say this about Adam McKay. He he's a director that's made movies like this that aren't really like great satire. Um mm-hmm. but um 
for he winks, for, he winks a little too much for it to be good satire. Exactly. Yeah. He, um, yeah. But for some reason with the big short, and I think maybe it's because of the, the acting um, mm-hmm. is uh, I think is why it works in the big short. Um, mm-hmm. uh, just really good. And, you know, raises some good questions that we should have about, um, you know, the housing market and just like yeah. loan and our financial system in general. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, okay. big short. I like that movie. That's, that's a good movie. I've watched that movie a few times cause it is whatever else it is. It is kind of an enjoyable, um, enjoyable tour for, through the horrors of all of that. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and that may be a criticism of the movie as much as the praise of it, but it's, it's good. Yeah. And it's a really good. Movie. I it's agree. Good movie. I agree, but I still enjoy film. it. Yeah, totally. Also, I should note, I, I want to note now that we're, if there is an MVP actor so far of our draft, it's probably Brad Pitt, um, who is in yeah. at least three of these films. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, we'll see how many more he shows up before we're all done. Uh, <laughs> I'm a Brad Pitt fan, so I'm okay with that. Yeah, he's good. Brad Pitt. Um, okay. Um, I wasn't planning on picking 12 Years a Slave, so that, that threw me. Was it, I wasn't planning on that. So I'm glad I did. I'm glad, I'm glad that came up. Yeah. Um, yeah. But now I gotta readjust a little bit here. <laughs> okay, do I pick one of the greatest films of all time, or do I pick one of the most enjoyable nonfiction books I've ever read? But the movie's not that great, actually. This is a movie draft, not a nonfiction book draft. That's true. You can honorable mention it. I might honorable mention this one, although well, it's a really good nonfiction book. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Drum roll. Yeah, I'm gonna go Lawrence of Arabia. Okay, based on T. E. Lawrence's memoir, Seven Pillars mm-hmm. of Wisdom, um, about his time in the army. So, um, I'm gonna go Lawrence of Arabia, and I'm gonna do it because it's one of the greatest films ever made. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's a movie that, kind of like Christopher Nolan's movies, um, the more I watch it. Uh, the more unsure I am about what I'm supposed to think about T.E. Lawrence, about, about Lawrence. Yeah. Um, the more amazed I am at the filmmaking every time I watch it. Uh, and the acting, the performance is just incredible. Uh, Peter O'Toole in his, like, his first role. I mean, yeah. just He's astounding. incredible. Astounding, yeah. yeah. Um, it also features that great match cut, which is just like everything that is great about movies and great about artistry. So, um, mm-hmm. I haven't read the book, so I do feel bad by picking one that I haven't read the book. But um, so far, I've only picked movies where I've read the book. So, oh wow, okay, I'm breaking my breaking my rule here so far. I've only um, seen, I've only read one of mine. So, <laughs> uh, but Lawrence of Arabia. I mean, you can't not pick Lawrence. You got, you got to just have Lawrence of Arabia in your team. It's you a big Lawrence yeah, of Arabia. It's like it's like a great movie. It was on my list. Peter, you know. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta pick I, him. So I think it's probably good that you picked it because it was it was one that I've been considering for like a couple of picks now. <laughs> oh yeah, so. now it's off your off your table. You can yeah. off your plate. You can pick something different. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to go next pick with um, I'm going to do all the president's men. Oh, it's on my list. That was that. I'm going to pick that one this time. So, yeah. Uh, that was my I, um, other prestige pick that I thought about picking earlier. Okay. 
yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's just a it's kind of uh I mean it's not like a Nolan movie, but it's kind of constructed in that precise mm-hmm. um just like suspenseful way mm-hmm. um that you would ex like if Nolan were to do this movie, you know, it it wouldn't look a whole lot differently just in the mm-hmm. at least in the narrative construction of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um the way it builds the tension and is like so like mm-hmm. precise in what it reveals and when it reveals it. Obviously it's based on a real story, so it's following, you know, right the actual story. But the editing is what makes the of this film is what makes it um oh yeah uh, that uniquely, you know, visual experience um mm-hmm. of that story. And man, it's just it's a it's a really great, great thrilling watch. Yeah. 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 It's one of those perfect movies. Mm. Um yeah. Absolutely perfect movie. Good pick, good pick, good pick. Yeah, it was on my list. It was it was when I said I had two prestige movies I was trying to decide between. It was that one and Lawrence of Arabia. Okay. And I I went I went Lawrence instead of that one. See I could have gone you're right. It's a very Nolan. You can movie. go either way. Yeah. I yeah. feel like I feel like there's a lot of David Lean in, in Nolan's ambition. Uh, mm. but there's a lot of that Jay, there's all that pacula matter of factness in what Nolan does too. So yeah, yeah, makes sense. Okay, I got one more pick. I got one more. One pick. more last pick. This is tough. This is tough. Um, because maybe this is where you go. You try to go for the win. You know, like the people are going to vote. You yeah. want to pick the clean movie up, that's going to help your This is the clean up hitter. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe this is what you do here. On the other hand, I don't know. I'm I'm just partial to good movies. So these are all good movies, though. Like, am I gonna go wrong here? I like to ex- I like to um, introduce people to movies maybe they haven't heard of. So then I'm tempted yeah. here to pick something that people maybe don't know and might put them up, put it on their on their radar. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if you have a chance to pick a movie like the one I'm pointing at now, <laughs> why wouldn't you pick it? Why wouldn't you pick that movie? You know, it's tough. This is tough. I also. I, I also don't have a Scorsese on my team right now. Oh yeah, Scorsese has adapted so many, so many of his movies are adaptations. Um, and we're you're talking about Killers of the Flower Moon. You know, there's mm-hmm. also there's a Nolan on the table. There's a Nolan on the table that that no one has chosen. And this is a Nolan episode, Nolan season. Maybe I should pick the Nolan. You know, that's true. Yeah. This is, I use so usually the rule is we don't draft the movies that um of the director that we're discussing. Okay, so Oppenheimer. I didn't really tell you that beforehand though. So if you want to take the Nolan, I didn't give that rule at the start. So, so so Oppenheimer would technically be off the table in the in the normal rules. Normally, but I didn't say that. I didn't tell you that. So you told me now. So I'll I'll accept the rule. I'll accept the rule. But you know, I I was actually aware of that from listening to a previous episode. Yeah. But if yeah. you if you built your draft a cert if you built like your strategy a certain way mm-hmm. and now I'm just now telling you then that wouldn't be fair. So No, yeah. it's not I, we're not we're not there. So I, I okay. had I had five <laughs> that I really wanted to pick. And um so Yeah, there's there still is a lot of great ones. There's a lot of great movies out there still. Yep. All right. Do I go for it? Do I go for Scorsese? Scorsese? Feels wrong. Feels wrong. <laughs> but there's a there's another I movie got my Scorsese. That, yeah, I know you do. So I, I, I'm 
my last pick anyway. I there's another movie here that I would love to pick. Especially since I didn't get all the President's Men, there's another movie that's like on that wavelength that I kind of want on my team. Tough, 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 tough. Mm, the suspense tough. is killing me. I know. <laughs> I know. Um, I think I know where I'm going with my last pick. So unless you take it, you might take it. Can't believe I'm gonna, I can't believe I'm going to leave Scorsese on the table. I can't believe I'm going to do that. That just seems <laughs> wrong. But I am. I'm going to pick the Social Network. Oh man, I'm picking the you social network. Me. Was that it? Was That's, that what you were gonna? That pick? was it. Yeah. Yep. All right, I'm doing it. I'm picking the social network. Um, I'm picking <laughs> it because it's the social network. You know, like yeah. it's it's not about Facebook. You know, it's about right. all of us. You know, right? But it is about Facebook. It is. If it's not in, it's not in my book. It's not in my book. Uh, come and see. It's not in Come and See because. Hmm. I'm not sure Fincher has been that influential. As great as he is, as You're much right. people love him, I don't think he's been that influential. Um, mm-hmm. He's one of those that's people can't really do that thing that he does, and so I don't think. Yeah. He, and so when I'm picking the last 20 years or so of movies and filmmakers, like they just didn't make the cut. Um, but it's hard not to say that Social Network is one of the most important films of the past 20 years, and yeah. one that we still need to reckon with the kind of questions it asks, or whatever, mm-hmm. and. You got two army hammers. Um, <laughs> two army hammers, that's right. Two army hammers, and that's maybe twice as many as you need. And you've got to <laughs> admire someone who's like, let's put double army hammers in our movie. Um, yeah. All the Mountain King rowing the boats, great sequence. You know. Yes. Jesse Eisenberg, I saw him at a coffee shop here in Pasadena the other day. So, yeah. you know, got a personal connection. There you um, go. <laughs> he's great in the movie. I don't know. Uh, Andrew Garfield. I feel like I'm making like a sly, almost Scorsese pick by picking this movie because Andrew Garfield's in it and Silence is so good. He's so good in Silence. Yeah. So, all right, I'm doing it. Social Network. Even Justin pick. Timberlake is, is pretty good. He's great. He's great. I, I, yeah. I think he's on drugs in the movie, <laughs> in every scene he's in. But it's great. He's great. Maybe, great. maybe he is, you know. Who knows? He might be. Yeah, he might be. <laughs> Man, uh, gosh, he threw me for a loop. And uh, here's a here's a tie in too. Um, also a 2010 film and uh, beat uh, beat out Hans Zimmer's score for best score. At the Oscars. It, as it should have, because yeah, it's, it's an phenomenal. amazing score. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I they uh, yeah, they did. Um, did a great job. They did part of uh, the that half of the uh, so, the score for Soul, I which know. was phenomenal, too. Yeah, their score, um, their, their soul work was amazing. Yeah, it's one of those where you like, really? Those guys yeah. are scoring a scoring a Pete Doctor Pixar movie. That totally yeah. worked. Super good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh man, yeah, you're that really threw me for a loop. And now I, I don't say know I'm what sorry, I'm but do. I'm not. I'm too competitive to be sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, because now, um, now I think you're gonna force me to pick another Scorsese. Well, that's good. I'll be happy they get they get to keep playing. Um, I, hate for I could pick a different Fincher so movie. You could, it's true. Um, but I like the Scorsese movie more. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm. I guess I'll go ahead and this might be the Scorsese you were gonna pick. Um, I'm gonna go Raging Bull. Nice Good um, choice. Were you going that or Goodfellas? I, I can, this, is, this is actually why I didn't 
pick a Scorsese is because I could not decide between Goodfellas, The Wolf of Wall Street, and Raging Bull, and Casino. Okay. Actually, these are all nonfiction Casino. adaptations. Mm. And but mainly it was between Goodfellas, Wolf of Wall Street, and Raging Bull. I couldn't really decide. So yeah, it's yeah. hard. Yeah. Um, Raging Bull is amazing movie. Yeah, it's just an amazing yeah. movie. Um, yeah. It changed. Uh, I think it changed even like. Uh, so like it, it, I think it changed the way like that sports movies are shot and espe- mm-hmm. especially boxing movies, which there's a large amount of, but, um, yeah. but yeah, it, uh, man, it's a incredible movie. Um, that last scene of Ray LaMotta talking to himself in the mirror mm-hmm. is just like, yeah, another, dev- another devastating end to, a Scorsese movie. It is. Um, it is. So I have a, yeah. my, my personal story related to reading bowl is, so I was, I was, I started working on come and see, um, before we had my son, um, before we had my, our first kid. Uh, hmm. and I, and I worked on the book for like five years. So spanned my son being born and everything like that. Um, but I actually, he was born. We were at the hospital. No, because you're there for a few days or whatever. And uh, uh, I took a break from being in the room and I walked over to a coffee shop that was nearby near the hospital. And I sat down to work on the book. And I wrote, and was, that was the morning I was like up to Raging Bull and working through writing the book. And so I wrote about Raging Bull in the coffee shop um, after my son had just been born. Mm. And it was one of those moments where like, I tried not to let personal stuff bleed into the book too much. Like it's really about the movies, you know, yeah. but that context like made me think about like, I don't know who this boy is going to be. Yeah. That was just born. I don't know who he's going to grow up to be. I don't know what kind of man he's going to be. I don't know anything about this kid or whatever. Um, and he could end up being, he could end up being as despicable <laughs> as, you know, as, as Lamada, as yeah. Jake Lamada. Um, and as complicated and as hard to love as that he could be that, that be that, that way. But you know what? I think I think Scorsese loves Jake Lamada. You yeah. know? And I think he critiques who he is and all that critiques him clearly, but I think he loves him. Mm-hmm. And I know God loves him. Yeah. And it was like a and the, whoever my son grows up to be even if he's Jake LaMotta, God's going to love him yeah. and I'm going to love him. You know, even if he breaks my heart, I'm going to love him. And it was like a, I remember sitting in the coffee shop trying to write that devotion and like wrestling with all this stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just because of how, how De Niro and Scorsese give us, you know, yeah. Jake LaMotta. Yeah. Yeah. That's an yeah. amazing, amazing portrait of a man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. A, a really cool story and connection. Um, yeah. I, I feel like Scorsese is like that. He, um, he has a lot of, uh, grace and empathy for extremely flawed characters. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I mean, not just like, not just like Nolan's flawed characters that are just kind of dealing with some inner grief or, right. or guilt, but like, yeah. I mean, to the nth degree flawed men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he really, he, he got, 
he really Scorsese really captured that Catholic two two Catholic two Catholic things sin and sin and grace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He really got him. <laughs> he oh, really yeah. says you sin. He really shows you grace. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh man. Um, oh, good draft. Yeah, I like my team. It's a good. Team. I do too. Uh, I'll read them off, and then we can uh, we can say a few honorable mentions. Okay. Um, yeah, Elijah ended up with Apollo thirteen, Mean Girls, Sea Biscuit, Moneyball, Twelve Balls, Twelve Balls. Oh my gosh, Moneyball, Twelve Years a Slave, Lawrence of Arabia, and The Social Network. I promise that was not me trying to sabotage your draft. <laughs> um, uh. Yeah, and I ended up with The Irishman, Apocalypse Now, The Sound of Music, Malcolm X, The Big Short, All the President's Men, and Raging Bull. Um, yeah, book ended with the Scorsese's. Nice. So, That's good. Yeah. That's good. You only picked one movie I don't really care for, and I'm not going to tell you which one. Oh, no. <laughs> hmm. Well, now I'm curious. Now I've... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh... Oh man! Not okay, a bad movie. It just really doesn't do it for me. It's hey, that's that's fair. I'll watch it um, again one day. Maybe I'll get it one. Maybe I'll get it. But yeah. <laughs> hey, that's great. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Well, you know, I have a I have a guess, but I I won't say it. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, Ma- it's Malcolm X. It's Malcolm X. Malcolm yeah, X. Um, that's fair. Okay. Yeah, that's that's a movie that like. I'm still I'm still very much wrestling with Spike Lee, and sure, uh, there's some of his movies that I really love, and then some of his movies that I'm like oh, I don't get it, you know. Yeah. And I think I think he'd be okay with that. Like he doesn't make movies that are easy to get. No, and, he they're very tough. Yeah, and Malcolm X is one of those. I think I built it up too much in my head before I watched mm. it, uh, and then I watched it. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that was that was fine. That's good. Yeah. See, I had an um, opposite experience. I watched it like kind of on a whim, so mm-hmm. I went in with like no expectations. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, it, that's the way to do it. I'm also, yeah, his also movies are rough around the edges. Yeah, yeah. I like that about him because he like yeah. it, I like movies that are rough around the edges because it, it means the filmmaker is really trying to do something. Yeah. Um, like the Five Bloods was mm-hmm. very rough around the edges, but I really liked it. Yeah. Yeah, he he doesn't he never sacrifices uh energy and emotion for like finesse. Mm-hmm. Um he always prefers energy and emotion and I admire that about him quite a bit. Yeah. 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 yeah um we already mentioned a few Thanks. of the Scorsese honorable mentions. Did yeah. did you have any others you wanted to just mention rapid sure. fire? Yeah, I mean um the one that I was almost picked but didn't pick because the movie's not very good, but the book is great, um, is uh, Julie and Julia. Oh, yeah. Um, the movie mm-hmm. about uh, Amy Adams and Meryl Streep, Julie, yeah. about Julia Childs. The, the, the half of that movie that's about Julia Childs um, is based on the biography about her called My Life in France. Right. Um, and that book is so good. Mm-hmm. Um, that book is so, so good. And the part with Amy Adams is based on something that's not so good. Um, and it's kind of like, yeah. Oh, there's some weird stuff happening here with this woman. Um, but the part about Julia Childs, um, and her husband is so good. And yeah. the, the, the book is so, so good because their marriage is fascinating. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like what you want a marriage to be kind of like yeah. the best, the best way that a mid-century marriage between two white people can be yeah. <laughs> um, is like their marriage. And it's just, it's such a good book and such interesting yeah. people. So love that. My wife will be happy to hear that. Cause I think that's a book she wants to read, but hasn't yet. I can't remember. Oh. She did read the, the other one and hated it. The um, one that's uh, the Julie girl one, right? Whatever that was like her blog thing. Yeah, she oh, no, hated that's, that book. That's, that's hate that. I hate that's. I hate that one. Um, that's wrong. But like, but she loves the, this movie. Yeah. So the movie's a lot of fun. That was I watched that movie on the front row over to the left side of a theater. That it was like a dollar theater. It was mm-hmm. a terrible movie going experience, but I still enjoyed the movie. Yeah, um, Meryl Streep is so fun in it, and Stanley Tucci and them oh, together yeah. are mm-hmm. so much fun in that movie because. The childs are so much fun. Yeah. Um, like they're amazing. So, love that book. Tell your wife to read that book. It is like, it is as not good as the other half of that thing is. It is that much better and more. It's so oh, yeah. Good. I'll have to tell her. I'll tell her first that she's asleep right now, but uh, I'll tell her <laughs> first thing. Um, yeah, that's awesome. I, I, um, I did have Julie and Julie on my list and it was one of those that I thought about. I actually thought about at one point drafting it just because my wife would be so happy. Yeah. Um, but I had already done that with the sound of music. Sound so of music, I was yeah. like, I gave her her pick that. I, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Uh, I had a few. So one of them that um, I, I have, I've taken in a, a draft a few drafts ago or maybe even more than that. I don't remember what draft it was, honestly. But um, I don't know if you could call it an adaptation of a nonfiction book. It's it is adaptation. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. It's 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 a kind yeah, of. Yeah, it is. It is. It's technically the way, it's, the, it's the way Stanley uh, Stanley the, Kaufman would adapt a book. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, I didn't I mean, draft if, it. If Mean but... Girls, if Mean Girls is an adaptation of a nonfiction book, then. Adaptation is too. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I I probably would have taken it if I hadn't already taken it in a different draft. But um mm-hmm. but yeah, I love I love adaptation. Um it's a wild movie. Uh Zodiac was the other Fincher that I was looking yeah. at. Mm-hmm. That'd uh, be a good pick. That'd be a good uh, pick. Lincoln, I like I really enjoy Lincoln. Um Is Lincoln uh, based on Team of Rivals? Is it I technically an adaptation of Team of think, Rivals? Yeah, I'm, uh, if I'm I think that's ringing a bell because I, I was looking up all these uh-huh. before I was adding them to my list. Um, I love that movie. That's yeah. like top top tier Spielberg for me. And one of those kind of like, oh, kind of like of all 13 that I turn on quite often mm. um, and just kind of have on because it does something for me. Yeah. Um, but not like Apollo 13. There's no movie, hardly any movies like Apollo 13 for me. It's, like, it's almost my favorite. But yeah. Yeah. Link is great. Um, I I had um, Into the Wild on my list as a potential. Okay, pick. yeah, I haven't um, seen that. Almost picked it um, because it. I thought it would help my chances in the voting because mm. it's beloved by people who love it. Yeah, um, and I like it quite a bit. I like the book more um, than the movie, but the movie's still very good. I think about it a lot. Yeah, hmm. and then um, the Killing Fields. Have you ever seen the Killing Fields? I have not. Um, so Peter Weir, Peter Weir film from the early eighties about um Pol Pot. Um and it's an incredibly good movie. And mm. uh it was one of those movies that like 
my dad set me down to watch when I was of a certain age or whatever. And yeah. It was kind of like a, this is, this is an important film, but also a film that like people don't really talk about very much. So you really need to see it because it's great. Okay. And so, yeah, love the killing films. So good. Yeah. I'll add it to the list for sure. Yeah. yeah the only other ones that, I, that, um, I would want to mention would be, I, I think Argo is pretty good. Yeah. Um, catch me if you can. Um, Thought about catch me if you can. Uh, is is fun movie. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I even I like Sully. Uh, good. Yeah, I think it's oh, a, yeah. a mm-hmm. enjoyable Eastwood yeah, movie. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I like. I've always liked. I thought that was a interesting story. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Huh. Yeah, there were some that I would have never picked. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> that I have seen. <laughs> but um, but I won't mention those. I didn't even um, write those kind of movies down. <laughs> <laughs> I just put all of them that I've seen on a list that I could think oh, of. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's that was a fun draft. Um, yeah. Uh, do you um do you happen to have a recommendation of the week? It can be anything. Anything. A meal, a movie, a show. Well, I'm anything. gonna I'm gonna recommend I'm, I'm gonna recommend another nonfiction book actually. So yeah, I, I said I had like a list of like movies, books that I wish they would adapt into movies. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to recommend one of those. One of okay. Those books. Um, and the book is called Running with Sherman. Okay. Uh, and it's by Christopher McDougall, um, who people may know because he did the, he wrote Run Free, which is the book about barefoot running. And a lot of people have, for some reason, have heard of that book. Hmm. Um, but Running with Sherman is a true story about him. And his family, they moved uh, to Amish country, bought a, bought a house in Amish country. And they ended up, he ended up learning about and doing this thing where you run with donkeys, like a mm. race with a donkey. And um, the, the race happens up in Leadville, Colorado, but he trained in Amish country where he lived or whatever. And um, the, the book is really about, I mean, it's about that, uh, about running with donkeys. but. Uh, it's really about this whole community of people that they meet and uh, that live in their neighborhood. The Am- Amish people that live there and then the non-Amish people who live there too, uh, the English um, who live there as well. Um, and uh, just the way this community comes around this donkey who's been neglected um, and then other people in the community who also need healing um, in some way and the way the community helps them achieve that. Um, mm. through practicing how to run with a donkey in a race. Um, so uh, it's it was a, a book I picked up just completely randomly. Excited. I'm going to, you know, I, I did, a lot of times I wing my recommendation of the week because I forget to think about it beforehand. Um, and so I'm just going to recommend that here at the end of the episode, you... Uh, you know, click the link in the, in the show notes and subscribe to the, um, come and see email. Uh, cause I've really been enjoying it. We talked about it earlier, but, um, yeah, I've, I've enjoyed, uh, reading about movies that I have seen and catching up with some that I haven't, um, some great old movies. And so, yeah, I'm, I don't, I don't remember how many I'm into it, but I'm the one that I got this past Sunday was, uh, Frankenstein. Um, which is a great movie. Um, yeah, so I'm like over four months in, I guess. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, did you want to uh, kind of just share real quick some places to to follow you and uh, and find your work? Yeah, and I'll I'll put those in the in the show notes too. And um, yeah, that that's uh, it was a fun episode. Uh, had a lot of fun talking Inception and with the movie draft. And so, um, yeah, I, I hope maybe uh, get you back on for another series in the future. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, yeah, I had a great time. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, Elijah. And uh, we're going to uh, wrap things up. Um, uh, yeah, next week, again, we'll be talking about The Dark Knight Rises. I'm excited about that conversation, um, revisiting that movie. And so uh, we will see you again next week. But uh, until then, you've been listening to The Establishing Shot. Thank you so much for joining us on The Establishing Shot today. We hope you enjoyed the episode and got a lot out of it. Make sure before you go to like and subscribe uh, on all your podcast platforms and especially on Spotify and Apple. If you could leave a rating and review, that would greatly help the visibility of the podcast and I would greatly appreciate it. Again, if you go to establishingshotpod.com, you can find out all you need to know about the show, where to find us on the social media platforms, where to find us podcast-wise, YouTube, Uh, And you can even leave a voicemail there on the website on the right side of your screen. So click that if you want to give a comment or ask a question about the show. Uh, Just feel free to leave a voicemail. We'd be happy to feature that on the show. And also, if you just want to email rather than leave a voicemail, you can email us at establishingshotpod at gmail.com. And we would be happy to answer your question there or feature a question or comment on the show if it pertains to uh, the episodes. So please do that. And we would love for you to join the Establishing Shot family. You can, again, find where to do that on the donate page at establishingshotpod.com. We hope you have a great week and we look forward to seeing you again next time.